welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Logan Lucky. Yeah. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Murkowski. Uh, I'm so smelly. And a Logan Lucky tagline deliverer, Kelly Wand. So much for Adam Driver being the first Skywalker not to lose a hand. <laughs> wow, that one took me a while. Okay, I think I um, understand. All right, very good, Kelly Wan. This is a little See? something with Star Wars nerds and dingus. What else yeah. do you got? Uh, it's dramatically. Wait, dude, yeah. it's, it's what? Dramatically, he's making up words like the stupid brother Sam. Oh, right, right. Because like okay. I'm the stupid brother of the podcast. I, I thought see. it was in character. Right. All right. Well, do you have a third tagline? You, these no. things sometimes travel. Oh, there's one, only a pair of them. All right. I gave well, up. Well, Dingus, let's just move right along to letting the listeners know before we start spoiling things, just some basics about Logan Lucky. Take it basics. away. All right. This week we saw Logan Lucky, mm-hmm. a 2017 American Southern accent movie <laughs> about how the 2017 film year is the John Denver experience. It was directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Richard Bachman. It stars (laughs) a ton of people we will talk about later, as that is a pleasure of the movie. So you call it a Richard Bachman, but it sounds like an Alan Smithy to me. Because there isn't, isn't like Richard Bachman, there's no baggage with that. He just wrote under that name, right? It's right, a but I think Stark. I think it's a stunt. It's not as, disavowing what they've done. No, I think <laughs> right. it's a stunt. As is if I'd written it, I would want it to be an Alan Smithy. If that had been my, something I wrote, I'd say, you know, just put Alan Smithy's name on that. Nope, I think it's a stunt. As And uh, I will bring up the word stunt many more times when we talk about this movie. So I, I stunts don't are think... exciting and cinematic, so you obviously really liked. Yeah, stunts are things like in Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. Where they it's like the word head. magic. Well, mm. yeah. Doug Henning does stunts. Mm. Yeah. I believe, believe in magic. Okay, he so anyway. with triangles and bubbles. <laughs> triangles. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the musical instrument. Didn't he make one disappear? Down so anyway, the, the casting of this movie... Stunt or otherwise uh, is one of the pleasures of actually watching it, um, as we'll be talking about Alien Covenant and Law and Order. Uh, Logan Lucky is rated PG-13. Oh. For language and some crude comments. There was no F-bomb. Is that correct? I'm just now realizing that. No, nope, really? It's just crude comments. Okay. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you think the MPAA did their job in terms of warning parents about those things Dingus just mentioned? Uh, I wasn't really listening to Dingus, but I was concerned, or I would be concerned if I was a parent, which could happen any minute, you know. I'm not that safe. Um, movie ratings. <laughs> A five-year-old winning a trophy for hair extensions, <laughs> I think is concerning. Uh, drivers speeding in a racetrack, and James Bond vomiting. 
I don't know. Good. It's really that is what that was, wasn't it? The kid in Logan Lucky couldn't get into Logan Lucky, according to Channing Tatum, because he has strict rules mm. about which movies she should see. And it's oh right, right, it's right. Isn't it weird, Kelly Wan, when when people who aren't allowed to see a movie are actually in the movie, like that, like Samsara in The Ring, the little girl who plays her, she couldn't see that movie, right? Isn't that weird? Well, the little boy couldn't either. So that was a wash. But also the hobbits weren't allowed to see Lord of the Rings because they were too... The hobbits are like 100 years old. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but they were too small for the height thing at the front. You're thinking of roller coasters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Logan Lucky opened at number three on its opening weekend, and it was a pretty wide opening. Uh, Behind the Hitman's Bodyguard and Annabelle Creation's Second Weekend. Oh, and I don't know what they were thinking op- opening opposite Hitman's Bodyguard because or Annabelle's creation. That's a Annabelle's huge creation. Well, no, that's that's like a horror. Like you, you have a horror, you have a comedy, you have an action movie. Uh, and Hitman's Bodyguard and Logan Lucky are both comedy action movies with uh, you know heartthrob male actor leads. And yeah. so I have no idea, and and especially because. Uh, Logan Lucky, Soderbergh was being very experimental with, with how he financed and marketed this, namely he didn't market it. Uh, so I'm not the least bit surprised that it only made $8 million in, in its opening weekend. There's no heartthrobs in this movie. Uh, all right, some people would disagree with you on that. Uh-oh. You ever see that picture of uh, Daniel Craig walking out of the beach in that Speedo, Kelly Wand? I thought it was Halle Berry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was Ursula Andress. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. On Rotten Tomatoes, Ooh. 93% positive rating. We love Metacritic, it. Uh, the average rating of Metacritic is 78. Oh. And the kind of people who went to see it on a Friday night and then got handed a little ballot afterwards by the cinema score folks, they were like, eh, B. <laughs> really? They were, they were wishing they'd seen Hitman's Bodyguard. Yeah, when you get a B from cinema score, Kelly Wan, that's bad news. I thought this was the target audience for those people, though. Anything less than an A-minus. An A-minus is the bottom line for an approving rating from CinemaScore. Anything less than an A-minus, it's like, eh. It's weird that the minus symbol is more negative than a B letter. Did you you ever go to school? No. (laughs) I was homeschooled, but I ditch my homeschooling and go to school. (laughs) Well, Kelly Wand, I want I was you a to rebel. put those yeah. skills to use by oh. counting to us all of the things that happened in the movie Logan Lucky. Oh, so much happened in it. And yet so much didn't happen in it. That's not part of it. That's me just buying time. Logan Lupsis. Mm. I mean, what would you call this, Tom? I would call it better than anything Rebecca Blunt wrote. Ooh, Emily's uh, L. Fanning's sister. <laughs> the hot and talented one, Tom Kvetched. That's not part of it. I was if you were to if there's a Rebecca again. Blunt, Emily Blunt sister pairing, then there's the hot and talented one, and then there's the other one. Right, like bald ones. By the way, I saw Girl on the Train on the plane. Uh-huh, you saw Girl on a Train. No, what? Are you crazy? Oh, my God. Are you crazy? 
Wait, listen to me. It's okay. Rebecca Ferguson, Emily Blunt. I haven't seen it. You don't have to tell me this. I know who's no, in no, it. No, no, I'm saying this is why I don't understand why you don't like it. And <laughs> Haley Bennett, naked. So it's like a Charlie's Angels movie. Because it's three it's girls. It's a Charlie's Angels movie mixed with a Junkies or Tedious movie mixed yeah. with a really dopey Jillian Flynn, Gone Girl, uh, kind of twisty ride it's just super contrived mixed with uh all men are evil a chick movie well we know all that's true and it is a good point kelly i don't dispute necessarily you know what's funny when i after i got off the plane and i mentioned i'd seen it to my mom she went you know what's weird i read the book and when i was watching the movie i'd forgotten who did it and i was like you that's can't that can't be yeah, right. exactly. true <laughs> i do not believe i think your mom is in there's serious no characters that left of the movie <laughs> Uh, maybe it's not funny. But it really anyway. is. It's a, it's a junkies are tedious movie where the reveal is, what if the problem with you being a drunkard isn't your fault, but is everyone else's fault? That's what Girl on a Train is to me. Well, it ha- in that one case, it was true. But also, it's, it's, they're trying to do like a Hitchcock kind of thing. Like, they I'm, think, I'm, no, no, it's like side effects. Did you see that movie? Uh, you mean yeah. the last one Steven Soderbergh did before he retired from filmmaking? Oh, he made that? <laughs> Side yeah. effects? Yeah. Kelly, not only did you not go to school, you don't go to movies? You don't know this stuff? <laughs> I saw it on a plane because no one told me to see it, which is how I, the only reason I see anything. Right. I don't, yeah, I can't, I, I'm not surprised no one told you to see Side Effects. But Side Effects, you go, oh, it's a drugs or evil movie. And then you find out, no, it's... Drugs are awesome. <laughs> I don't remember else. that part of side effects. People okay. being dicks. Right. Okay, what the fuck? Logan Lopsis. Jesus. Yeah, what wait. a segue. This will be so worth the wait, too. Can Channing Tatum has his hood up because he's trying to sabotage his ex-wife's car. He's all, <laughs> hammer. His five-year-old daughter's all, sledge your MC. He's all, I meant Rich. She hands him a rubber band. They listen to a John Denver song together in silence. Then he's all, there's a funny story about that song. One time while they were in the feather bed together, John Denver broke his grandma's thumb, so she had to go on stage in his place. That's the night he and Buddy Holly flipped a coin. See, who would have to sit behind the big bopper on taco night. Now that taco's in the country's soft rock hall of fame. So that's why you like the song. The lyrics are meaningless to you. <laughs> what song? The next day, Tatum goes to his job blowing up sand under a racetrack. <laughs> it's great work if you can get it. Uh, when you can get it. Yeah. His boss, Bob Hoskins, is all. Hey, come to the trailer for what? a Wait a minute. <laughs> Wow. Taller. They had him on uh, platform shoes. <laughs> I, although I bet you just made Jim O'Hare's day. Is that his name, Dingus? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Keckner, and that was my joke. <laughs> yeah, I live in a dream Jerry. world. It was Gary or Jerry or Jerry. Yeah. Jerry Keckner? Gergich. Oh, yeah. See? Okay, it's Bob Hoskins, though. Hey, come into the trailer for a second. Tatum's all, so, Hoskins is all, listen, I have to let you go. Someone saw you limping yesterday. They were pretty repulsed. 
plus legs or a pre-existing condition. Tatum's all Since he's annoyed on his way out, he throws his hard hat in the bucket outside where it belongs with the rest. System. Like most people, Channing used to be married to Katie Holmes, so he goes to her house. (laughs) Hmm. He's all... Don't worry, I can take what's-her-face to pageantry practice today. I uh, guess you could say I uh, got a promotion. <laughs> Katie's all, well, for someone who can see the future, you sure aren't good at it. You thought this thing was yesterday at four. He's all, well, at least I got the four part right. Seth MacFarlane waddles up and goes, ha-ha, I'm in this. By the way, <laughs> we're taking the kids to go see Furious 8. Miss Daisy down at the Piggly Wiggly, so the seventh best one yet. Not him. Really? Close enough. I might I might be wrong on Bucky too. Got pretty confused. Tatum's all whoa, isn't that movie a little intense? Tyree's in that car door. Whew. At least start him out on stroke race or the car. Similar. It's the South. Katie Holmes is off. By the way, Jethro here is expanding his waistline, so now you have to drive over the state line to pick up what's your face every other day. Tatum's off. I don't go to other states. I'll see you in court, whichever state that's in. She's all. The state line's just two blocks down, but he storms off hobbling. Drives his truck into her mailbox. The truck only has three wheels, so it's also limping. Tatum goes to a hair salon where the girl from American Honey who made Shia LaBeouf slather her legs with Nutella is all. (laughs) I thought she was his girlfriend, by the way. I thought she was his wife. Yeah. Yeah, the whole movie. And I thought that during when he's hitting on Rachel Maddow, the nurse. Rachel Maddow. Oh, my God. Kelly Wood. Oh, you're a terrible person. Oh, my God. And I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it's like, what kind of con is he doing here? I'm not understanding. And Riley's going to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> nope, sister. <laughs> yeah. Thought, wait a minute. You guys thought that was his wife? No. You thought Riley Keogh was his wife? No. First of all, I know how to say her last name. You don't hit that G so hard, Dingus. Ease up oh, on that. I'm going to hit that G hard. as much as I want. Yeah. But now Shia's tainted it, so I don't want it anymore. Anyway, she's all, don't worry, Channing, I drove your daughter yesterday to her bikini line waxing. I had to take Highway 86 south to the I-69 since traffic was too light. He's all, at least I got the four part right. That's his, would it help? (laughs) He walks out, then comes back and goes, by the way, I got promoted today for not limping enough. He walks out again and goes to a bar where his brother Adam Driver works as an object of ridicule for British race car drivers. <laughs> Good tips. One of them's all, Oh, your left arm's an ingeniously constructed prosthesis that helps you in certain ways. <laughs> Cruel and sadistic thing to say. His mechanic friends snigger uproariously. Adam Driver's all. I sustained my injuries when Chewbacca shot me in the pancreas. 
instead of putting salve on it, I just hit myself a bunch of times till it started bleeding again. <laughs> the mechanic snigger again. Adam Driver's all. <laughs> they make fun of him for saying that. Adam Driver's all. My grandmother. <laughs> wow. God damn it. See, I believe every Freudian slip means something. But is it a Freudian slip if you just stoned? Adam Driver's all. My grandfather made C-3PO and then recycled him to make my arm here. C-3PO lost his arm to a Tuscan Raider, although they didn't take it, oddly. The mechanics point at the dri- Adam Driver's mechanical index finger and laugh at it for pointing at them. Adam Driver's all. I was also Lena Dunham's love interest. They all laugh and point again. <laughs> the main British guy saw. I want a vodka Gidley. You think you can handle that, lefty? Driver's all. On the rocks are Martin and Lewis. From the next table, Tatum's daughter's all. Phillips head or low sodium? The British guy shrugs. That's me turning the page. Driver makes the drink but cheats by using his good arm. The British guy tastes it, spits it out, and goes, You call this water liquid at room temperature? Ugh. The drinking water here is contaminated, so we have to use water that's a weird temperature for martinis, although making fake salt for criminals is no problem. The mechanics point at the faucet and cackle mockingly. Tatum comes in and somehow already has a drink. He's all, Why don't y'all just make my brother juggle chainsaws like a trained seal? The British guy's all, yours brother and you limp, maybe between your hand and my mustache. I mean, Tatum's all, hey, you're that guy on TV who's famous for holding a bottle before races. Can I have a selfie with you? The British guy assents, so Tatum uses his nose to hurt the bar, to hurt the bar top. <laughs> what idiot wrote this? And then tricks them. By getting beaten up by the mechanics, while well, Adam Driver sets fire to their car outside by throwing a jug of water into it. <laughs> a lot of plot holes in this movie. <laughs> like the tunnel. The cops compete to make the best phone video out of it. The cops? <laughs> I think that's supposed to say mechanics. <laughs> then I guess go back in for a couple more rounds. The cops. It's just me critiquing how bad a writer I am. Allowed. To celebrate losing the fight and for getting sued for blowing up a race car, Tatum takes Driver to a refrigerator with ten things written on it. Number one, write list. Number two, pin on refrigerator. Number three, rob racetrack. Number four, paint cockroaches. Number five, Daniel Craig. Number six, make sure last June Game of Thrones novels aren't out yet. Number seven... Put dirt on doors of McFarland's race car so he notices it. Number eight, make tunnel. <laughs> Number nine, come up with night thing. Number ten, feel remorse and throw list in fire after daughter wears hair extensions. <laughs> he crosses out number five, Daniel Craig, makes a train set model out of the racetrack, shows it to driver. He's all, okay, so I got this job application here to be a mannequin at Lowe's, but I also thought we could rob this racetrack. So I made this scale model of it. I figure if we can rob this using ants, my other plan will work for the big one. All we need is a guy who knows how to blow up stuff with gummy bears. Driver's all. I know just the guy. If you think he was smart with a helicopter inspector, <laughs> wait till you see him tie a paper bag. 
Oh, God. I mean, yay, the podcast. They go to a prison where Daniel Craig lives. He's all, I can't do it. I am incarcerated. <laughs> Channing Tatum's all, I got a plan to smuggle you out. All we need to pull it off is the entire prison population to set aside their race war for a couple hours and also me to somehow know that the wall to the restroom leads to a road with a truck in it. Oh, and we have to poison you, but you have to recover immediately so you can do precision work with explosives. Daniel Craig's all. I got me money under an oak tree. I plant in the middle of my swing set with a red shovel, so fuck you. Adam Driver's all. Yeah, your girlfriend took that and ran off with the milkman. The It's Alive baby ate him and lost all the money betting on Hillary. James Bond's all. Fine, but I only rob racetracks if my two retarded brothers get a couple scenes. I think one of them's Kid Rock and the other one's Randy Quaid's aunt. They find the brothers bobbing for out-of-focus off-screen lumps at a local fair and convince them to join in by looking skeptical about their ability to understand anything that's told them. <laughs> it's all coming together. Channing also tells them that someone unconnected to the racetrack touched his sister once with a hand, so stealing from racetracks is quid pro quo. <laughs> The brothers don't know what any of these words mean, but agree to sleep in on the day of the caper in her honor. <laughs> to celebrate this all happening, Channing Tatum gets an ice cream cone. Rachel Maddow walks past, stares at him, and goes, That ice cream looks infected. You want a tetanus shot? He's all, What's a shot? She takes him into her van and draws some of his blood. She's all, sweet, maybe the most common, but you never have too much OP negative. My name's Sylvie, with an L. He laughs at her and goes, that was my grandpa's name. You look sort of like him, too. He looks at her with thoughtful lust till his eyes cross. She drives off. Since Elvis's granddaughter was Shia LaBeouf's love interest in her last movie, they make her paint cockroaches with nail polish. Due to a mix-up, they give the birthday cake full of cockroaches that Daniel Craig was supposed to eat so he could throw up to some bank tellers. I think because the fat girl bank teller also got handsy with Elvis's sister. Since it's not easy to get into West Virginia prison if you threw a Molotov into a celebrity's race car a few nights ago, the aptly named Adam Driver drives a car into a fast food mart and kills a few people, then buys some gum. He gets arrested for the gum. Although the prison commissary isn't in on the scheme, <laughs> the cooks, by chance they serve dog food on race day. Unfortunately, that's James Bond's favorite, so he has to drink toxic wastewater to help him hurl. <laughs> Beside me, Dingus stands up, pumps his fist, and goes, Bile! Wait, what? <laughs> As he sits, he starts sighing with annoyance and insisting that he never said this. <laughs> While Tom leans over giggling and replaces his diary with fake vomit. I guess so he'll think it's Daniel Craig's. Channing Tatum knows the password for the chain link fence because the roaches the bank tellers ate the most of were pink. 
So he hits random numbers on a padlock until Adam Driver opens it using his prosthetic hook. Uh, I look over at the bowl of grits beside me and go, In Raiders, when the bald Nazi turned his nunchuckas into a coat hanger to bore Karen Allen, everyone in my theater laughed, but I only got more scared because it meant he probably uses coat hangers as torture devices and maybe an Iron Maiden for his tanning bed. The grit's cool. Back in the race, the British guy tricks his driver friend Bucky into drinking Brondo out of a champagne bottle before the race. <laughs> which wasn't part of the plan, I don't think. So he starts farting during the race till he crashes. A pit crew guy wearing a headset and a baseball cap saw, She's gonna blow! He throws himself to the dirt. Bucky in the car farts softly. A referee waves a black and white checked flag. Oh, writing. James Bond makes a bomb out of gummy bears and chunkies and puts it in the money tube. Then he ducks. In the money trash can basket. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if the script's literally the same as all of The readout screen's all air. The money trash can basket? Yeah. Is that what it is? Shane <laughs> Tatum knows all about it. So, yeah. In the money trash can basket, a readout screen made out of computers is all. Error, plastic baggie tied too carefully. Meanwhile, in the prison, the warden's all. Okay, look, here's the deal. We can't get you guys the last two Game of Thrones books because Martin's busy working on his blog writing essays about which deadlines he's missed. Plus books four and five are meh. But we can get you the first ten books of the Vampire Chronicles and season ten of Supernatural. Prisoners set fire to the captive guards tied to some rocking chairs and start chanting the reigns of Castamere. The brothers also make a bomb out of semen, cement, and CG, and it blows up the unguarded outhouse where the racetrack keeps its electricity that takes out the coal and cleans it. I start trying to remember other parts of the movie, then write, the robbery is a success. <laughs> Just like Soderbergh. <laughs> that was a good. That's a, that's a nice takedown. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tatum's kid gets blonde extensions, puts on a blue gown, and announces she looks like Rihanna. The MC ladies all. Our next contestant for Miss America is only six years old, and she'll be performing the Rihanna song from Valerian when she played the character Bubble. The kid suddenly sees her dad standing near the exit like he's really eager to leave. The daughter's all... <laughs> I got these extensions because I think this is what Rihanna looks like, but they also make me look like John Denver and Brie Larson in Free Fire, so now I'd like to sing this song. She starts singing the John Denver song about how delicious the toxic water is in West Virginia, but not very well, so the whole audience joins in to drown her out. <laughs> That seemed mean, that scene. From the exit, Tatum shouts, I never said it was my favorite. What's-her-face wins the fourth-place trophy by a city kilometer. Since the whole audience sang along with her, they all win trophies also, including the parents of the rival kids, like the Russians at the end of Rocky Four. 
that's the thing. They're all they're all singing along with the what the kid that their kids are competing with. <laughs> Would that happen in the South? Yeah, let's hear it for Sheila Ann. During his, I mean, hearing his daughter try to remember the lyrics to the theme song from Free Fire makes Tatum feel remorse about stealing money from kind-hearted racetrack beer vendors, so he gives it back. But not entirely remorseful, so not all of it back. <laughs> Instead of just giving James Bond his money, they string him along for weeks. Then they ring his doorbell one day and giggle and run off and leave him a red shovel as a brain teaser. But bury the money under his swing set using a different shovel, I guess, since the red one's clean. <laughs> I guess if they know if it's the end of the movie, it makes sense. Some words tell me this is Daniel Craig's first film. The end. <laughs> All right. It's all I had time to make fun of. Today is my 3x3. Kelly Wan will be announcing next week's 3x3. So, Dingus, since you don't have a lot to do on this podcast, why don't you go first? Give us an over and an under for Logan Lucky and let us know what you thought of this. Uh, So, under, I would uh, use the David Mamet movie Heist. Uh, Oh, yeah. I hate that movie. I love it. It it has one of my most hated lines. That's why they call it Money Dingus. Yeah. Fuck that line. You hate that line. It doesn't make any sense. It's It's a tautology. Yeah. You're a tautology. I remember I said about it on a different podcast about a movie, I said, it is what it is, and that line, you you laughed like, oh, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And it's kind of like that line. Tom hates that that statement. Tom hates it. It is what it is? Wait. Oh, it is what it is. Well, but I don't hate it. I just think it's inane. Uh, I I don't mind it when, for instance, uh, uh, Robert De Niro says it in Deer Hunter. It's something that his character would say. But anybody who's intelligent... But he doesn't say it is what it is. He says this is this. This is this. Right. It's a tautology. Right. Right. It's it's basically the same uh, structure as it is what it is. Um, Yeah, but somebody using that as an excuse for having an opinion, you know, it is uh, what it is. I think it means I, it's something that, that was designed to be a certain thing, and I therefore to judge it by any other media it, is like... It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's guacamole. That's why they call it guacamole. I mean, the, the, that's it a good makes one no sense. It yeah, makes Dingus, no, it, the line makes no sense. Dingus, can I use that? Can I steal that from you? I, I want that line. Yeah, I like yeah. that one. You that would actually it. go well in that uh, movie Enough Said with James Gandolfini and Julie Louise Dreyfus because he's got That's his why they call it guacamole thing. Yeah. yeah, but at least there would be a wink there instead of Danny DeVito actually making – that's why they call it – oh, God, I hate that line so much. I cannot stand It's not as good as your guacamole one, I'll grant you. Yeah. Maybe you just felt like it, it could have been better, and so you just proved it. I love tautologies in uh, what is it? Uh, Thirty. Uh, 30. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Jason Zero Dark 30. That's the movie where he turns into a swirling ball of black nano goo. Remember that part of Zero Dark Dark Thirty? Yes, I remember that. And then he becomes an ape. And then Zero Terminator had to fight him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my over would uh, is very far above this, and that would be Quick Change, uh, which is a heist movie that. Oh, is, that's a good one. That, that loses 
energy, but for a good reason. And I think this movie just loses all energy, um, what energy it had. Um, it just totally drains of energy once we get to the FBI and we have this whole terrible sequence. Oh, uh, yeah. Where the movie just... <clears throat> but Quick Change understands, yeah. understands how to manage its energy. And it's okay with when, when there's this weird... Uh, um, a jousting scene in Spanish Harlem. Uh, it's okay when that happens because the movie understands how to manage its pace. I don't think this movie does. Uh, I really, I really disliked this movie for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, we have uh, one listener wrote in who kind of liked it, but man, I could not stand this movie. I was really pissed off by it. Kelly Wand, what is your over and under in your basic assessment? And then I'll go after you. Uh, Dingus's over is great. It's much better than what I was thinking. But I just did fun rednecks as my theme. Hey, um, you know what? I'm going to go first then. Okay, go ahead. No, fine. Steal mine. Actually, mine is more specific than that. So go ahead. Well, did, did you, you say fun rednecks? Yeah. Were you kind of enjoying it? And uh, it's, right. it's it's a movie for them about them. I don't know. Uh, but so my over is Deliverance. And my under is Nadine, that one I was trying to explain to Tom with Jeff Bridges and Kim Basinger. Oh, my. Uh, they're going over the ladder. I like that movie. I, I don't hate Logan Lucky. There's some stuff in it I kind of like, actually. I really liked the Game of Thrones part in the prison. I thought oh, that was God. funny. No, it was cute because it was really specific and detailed. And I thought that was that was kind of funny. And that black is like, no, it's bullshit. I thought I thought that guy was good. Um, and I liked the brothers. Like it made me laugh a few times. But then when the girl sang at the end, then I thought it totally jumped the shark. And I'm like, oh, no, not it's this kind of movie now. But I was kind of worried because it, my mom had seen it three times. It's kind of what? her La La Land. And wait, uh, what? Your mom has seen this three times? Yeah. <laughs> My God. And the second that I saw the words West Virginia appear at the beginning, I went, oh, that's why she likes it. Uh, have you ever seen Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah, and I know what you're saying. Okay. I was yeah. just asking. But that's a good on, analogy. Is your mom from West Virginia? Yeah. We all are. Okay. We're, we're hillbilly coal miner stock. All right. Well, I'm from um, Virginia, Virginia, but that's fine. Ah, see, you're the, from the slave one. Yeah, I'm see, from the defected. slave one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're from the East Berlin, <laughs> Virginia's. So, um, so I like that, and so that kind of tricks me into liking the movie more than I should, because I like it as a concept. I like, I like the idea. Like when they say it's kind of distracting to have the phrase "Ocean Seven Eleven in your Soderbergh movie, and a character say that. It makes me feel, makes me kind of wince, but. As a movie premise, that's not terrible. It's, 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I don't. Right. But I, I'm excited to hear you explain it later. Anyway, uh, you really right. Tom. So my over and under are, ooh, rednecks are wacky and funny movies yeah. that, no, my over and under are red, or movies where, oh, rednecks are wacky and they're really funny, but these are that kind of movie with a distractingly hot chick. Right. Uh, so my under 
is the Beverly Hillbillies from 1993 with uh, Jim Varney and Cloris Leachman. They had playing Ellie Mae, this super hot chick who was naked in one of the Steven Seagal movies. Her name is Erica Eleniak. Yeah. And that yeah, movie... Siege. Yeah, mm. exactly. She comes out of the cake all naked and everything. It's like, whoa, she's hot. And I think she's, That's the girl uh, had, uh, Elliot kissed, as we've gone over before. That's the movie that what? That Elliot kisses in E.T. Yeah. That's the movie that Elliot kisses in E.T. That's the girl, the girl that Elliot kisses. Oh, Elena. Becomes, uh, Erica Elena. Playboy Centerfold. Yeah. I, I did not know that. Okay. Uh, so that is my under because that movie is terrible. This is better than that. In that Beverly Hillbillies thing. However, this isn't as good as a num- another movie where ah, rednecks sure are wacky that has a distractingly hot chick. This is a movie called Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which I actually like the early parts of this movie. This is, uh, and the guy who directed this, he's got another movie coming out in a few days called uh, Oh shoot, Little Devil. It looks like it's basically Tucker and Dale versus Evil is a, a comedy that kind of deconstructs slasher movies. Uh, he's got one that coming out in a week, I think called Little Evil, that seems like it's that approach to deconstructing uh, evil child, like, omen movies. And I want to see it, because Adam Scott, I, I think, is the lead in it. So anyway, Tucker and, and Dale versus Evil has uh, uh, Alan Tudyk, who is great, a guy I'd never seen before named Tyler Labine, and they play rednecks. And the whole gag is that these students, these these kids who are camping out in the woods think that Tyler Levine and Alan Tudyk are crazed redneck murderers. And through a series of miscommunications and, and uh, misread signals, uh, people start getting killed, and it becomes a slasher movie. But Alan Tudyk and, and Tyler Levine, they're perfect. They're, they're very well-intentioned, they're kind, and they mean well. And all of this is an accident, and people get impaled and thrown in wood chippers and, and killed with axes. And early parts <laughs> of this movie are hilarious to me. Like, I, I watched it again today, and just was just laughing out loud crazily at some of the scenes. Um, but it gets really bad. It gets kind of super earnest and serious yeah. about what it's trying to do. And that, it completely falls apart. And it, yeah, so, however, one of my problems with Tucker and Dale versus Evil is there's a young lady in it who I just can't take my freaking eyes off of her. She is, of course, the star of Chupacabra Terror, uh, a young actress <gasps> named Shalane Simmons. Oh, my. Final Destination 3. She's in Tucker and Dale versus Evil as kind of an ancillary character. But, you know, they've got her cleavage on display. Uh, and I just find that terribly distracting while I'm t- trying to watch a movie. Well, so, Katrina Bowden's in it, too. She didn't do much for me. She's no, just kind of a She's not in it much. Katrina Bowden? She's not in it much, and she plays an earnest character. Katrina Bowden, right, has no joke. Like, she's the yeah. love interest. And they she's actually... kind of wasted. Well, yeah, exactly. But, uh, so, so this is... Not quite as good as Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, which I don't think is, is very good. Uh, and th- I think this is terrible. This thing, it's listless. Uh, it just has no sense of pacing. It, it's, it, yeah, that's true. But my, my main problem with it beyond that is I, I think it's really snide and condescending yep. to the people uh, who it's about. Uh, yep. And I just find that not funny and uh, I just I didn't enjoy that I didn't enjoy Soderbergh making fun of these people without any kind of insight into the south or West Virginia or race car driving or you know working men it's just you know he's he does the glitz of Ocean's Eleven in Vegas fine he gets that but I don't think there's anything here that he gets so it was a little offensive well not offensive it just it just was grating to me that he was so snide towards all of his characters. So, uh, however, I will say 
Riley Keough in a 1970 Chevy Nova. Oh my gosh! As long as you give me that in a couple of scenes, uh, oh, I'm I was content. I mean, the rest of the movie, but it was worth waiting through the rest of the movie to see her in that Nova. Ooh, boy! So there you go. There's my <laughs> takeaway. You think it's snide to the Channing Tatum character? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to everyone, to that that whole. I mean, it's. I think it's just stereotypes and. Right, it, it's stereotypes, but they prevail. jokes. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it's no different than Beverly Hillbillies or, or Tucker and Dale versus Evil to that degree. But I, I think you know Steven Soderbergh can do stuff with. He can do listless movies about working class people. He did a great movie called Bubble, and yeah. Bubble. He's not trying to be funny here. He's trying to be funny, uh, and I, I just didn't think it worked. I didn't. I didn't find it funny. Kelly, wanted your bit about the prisoners wanting the Game of Thrones books. I understand what he was going for there, but it seems to me the joke would be the prisoners wanting the Game of Thrones TV show, because that's somewhat plausible. The TV show is something that people love and people watch, and there's that great bit in Sisters, where Maya Rudolph's character has people over to watch Game of Thrones. Like, Season that makes one. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me, because everybody watches Game of Thrones, and so actually these prisoners, their demands would be Game of Thrones. But he pushes the joke a little too far by making the prisoners want the books. And they're right. apparently very well read, and they want, and that's that's to the point of kind of this almost absurdist humor, uh, and it just it, it's like a little bit too far, and it stops being funny and becomes kind of silly and over the top, and it takes me out of whatever kind of world he's trying to build. I think um, I think I'm with you somewhat because it takes me out of it too that they would know what the books are called, but not that they're not out yet. And that's right, exactly, and that's the joke. Like that would make they, sense. They, they know what the books are called. They're, yeah, exactly. And the last two books weren't good, and that would have if that would have made it into the dialogue if they were fans of the books. They would go, "Well, yeah," because the, the warden has to tell them, "Yeah, the show's different from the series." Right, right. But if they're demanding the books, like you said, it's like they would know that. I don't know. So, so they kind of ruin it. When I said snide and condescending, you you kind of. Uh, made uh, a green sounds like it was that as these dingus these are your people they're all our people not me i'm yeah. from arkansas he wasn't making fun of arkansas arkansas come on yeah. dude no, he wasn't making west fun virginia of west <laughs> <laughs> i mean you're not as pure blood as me and dingus hillbilly wise but by the way i just want to say just because i think it'll be controversial i thought daniel craig was funny in it i liked his part Oh, good lord. You really? heard me. Yeah. I thought he was funny. Well, I had a really hard time enjoying... I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm an easy laugh. I even cried a little bit at the end, even though I hated this movie. Um, but I think there's a difference between the way Steven Soderbergh does uh, unconventional casting, where he might do, like, the girlfriend experience and, um, you know cast somebody like Sasha Gray, I think it's Sasha Gray, or uh, or Haywire, and cast somebody like Gina Carano, or Bubble, where he casts, uh, is it Dustin Ashley, that's his name? Uh, and, he, and, he, and he works with people who aren't actors, and he brings them along. Um, and then, you know, so even something like Ocean's Eleven, where he casts a bunch of stars in something. And, but each of them seems to fit their slot. Uh, I don't mean that as a as a pun for Las Vegas, but this seems to be entirely stunt casting. This seems to be one of those situations where um, Steven Soderbergh, I think he's just he's just fucking around. Uh, he's just being lazy, I think. Um, 
he's he's doing that kind of thing that that annoys me in movies from a, from a high powered animation studio where I have to constantly guess who's this person. Oh, now I'm surprised by this person. This isn't the best person for the role, but wow, Seth MacFarlane is playing this guy who has a, a terrible accent. That's funny, and all these people also have terrible accents and who's playing fish and who's playing Sam and oh I have to figure out all these things rather than actually watch I, you know he retired and then he Steven Zauber retired and then he unretired just to make this really to promote really the, the eight movie yeah he, he famously retired oh, and yeah. now he's he's producing the eight movie and the what movie, movie I don't like, know what you're saying ape movie eight I'm sorry uh, Ocean's Eight uh, he's producing Ocean's Eight. Oh, is that the the one with the female cast? Yeah. So okay. he's producing uh, that. So I, I who's directing that, by the way? I have you know? no idea who's directing. Okay. But I think that I, I wonder if some of his casting stuff is just to feed his production line because he does this huge amount of he he does producing in documentaries and other in te- in television shows and a whole bunch of things and I and I think he just doesn't care. I think he just like figures out you know. Who's a couple of funny people I'd like to have on set with me? Yeah, I'll just plug them in. And, and even though I love, um, what's the, uh, is it the imposter? The one with the exclamation point? Informant. The informant. <laughs> the informant. The imposters is that Oliver Platt Stanley Tucci thing. <laughs> oh, okay, good. The informant where he like, yeah. threw a bunch of comedians into serious roles. I think sometimes he just throws people onto the cast that he wants to be around because I think he's bored directing a lot of the time. I mean, I've really lost faith in him. I think this movie is terrible on those, on those reasons because I don't trust him anymore. I don't like this story. I think he wrote it. Um, I don't like what he's done. I think he's basically done what he said he did. He's just made a white trash version of Ocean's Eleven and he could have made it a, what it a is. really cool – he really could have made a cool, like, NASCAR heist movie. I mean, there, there could have, there's a lot of cool stuff that he could have done there. Instead, he did, like, a blueprint or a black print or whatever of what he did in Ocean's Eleven where they did the heist. It didn't work out. Now we're going to show you what actually happened. I mean – kind of feel like flipping him off the way Daniel Craig flips out them off when he walks out of the tunnel. The thing with I'm that really pissed though, off at Steven Soderbergh. Is I don't even think he did it well, which is my main issue. I don't mind if he wants yeah. to do an iteration of this formula. And I don't even necessarily mind, okay, listless, snide, condescending, but I don't that whole I think that was supposed to be a payoff thing at the end. I couldn't follow any of that. I don't know why he had Hillary Swankin making Blair doing that oh, bit. That just felt really just forced. Like I don't. It, my problem with it isn't necessarily that it is a hillbilly heist or Ocean Seven Eleven or Hee Haw Heroes, Redneck Robbers. He's super aware of what he's doing here. My problem is it's just not a very good instance of that. Right, I agree. And and so I yeah that whole pattern from Ocean's Eleven, which can be very gratifying. Like, ah, they were ahead the whole time. What was the deal with the cell phone being turned off? Like, I don't know if I'm stupid yeah. or if I'd lost interest, but none of that clicked for me. Why Why is Riley Keough suddenly wearing the uniform of one of the workers there? What, what, what right. am I being shown here? What? <laughs> it just felt... And Soderbergh's been he's – he's not an incompetent filmmaker, so Dingus, maybe you're right. Maybe, is it boredom? Is it just not trying? I don't know what was going on that that formula just completely fell apart for me. Uh, it was I just think so it's surprising. All, 
I think it was a thing that happened in Ocean's 12 where he just got bored and we're just going to go off and have a vacation together and fuck around. Uh, and that's why to uh, you know finally get around to your your original question to me, Tom, I find this so offensive uh, because all of these actors doing this terrible these terrible accents. Oh my god, I know. I could terrible. not believe there was a dialogue coach listed. I was like, really? Nobody you hired the guy and nobody listened to him. Just all around, and these were famous people just doing their slap shoddy southern accents, whatever they could float out. Oh my god, that maybe was just... they're all expats from other parts. And they're just no, it's just a there. cartoon, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And he tries yeah. to offset it by having Seth MacFarlane do this cartoonish English accent, which I want to punch that guy in the face so bad. No, but um, that's Seth MacFarlane's that guy from The Office who played Katie uh, Holmes' husband. But yeah, no. what Kelly Wan thought that uh, what, I, I knew that guy's name at one point. Uh, the guy from the office. Shoot, what's yeah. his name? Alan Denham or something like that. His, his name's David Denham. 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 David Denham. Right, right, right. Kelly Wan yeah. thought that was Seth MacFarlane. And so they had a guy from the office and a guy from Parks and Rec. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the fuck Steven Stoderberg is doing, but it's 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 not only lazy, but it's offensive because of that reason. Because. I mean, come on, at least give us something. I, I Daniel mean, Craig. Don't we have enough to to deal with right now without making people in the what? South look like cartoons? <laughs> I mean, no the, way. This I mean, got... NASCAR has some cool aspects to it, and you could do a cool heist movie with a NASCAR thing. And you've got you've got uh, um, uh, Sebastian Stan, who I think is actually pretty good in this, and I was kind of excited because. On one of the cars, the word Logan is on the car, and I thought maybe he's going to be like the long lost brother, and he's going to be part of the heist. But that never materializes. He didn't really pay off. Doing the yoga thing. I mean, he's good in it. I mean, I think he's one of the best things in the movie because I think that guy is great. Daniel Craig. But God, I found this so fucking offensive. It was so annoying. All right, so Kelly Wan, let's let's hear your defense of Daniel Craig. You you like what he was doing? I want to the movie and okay. Daniel Craig. Okay, because um, I hated it, the Hillary Swank stuff as much as you guys did, and I I want to pretend that it didn't happen and that Batman was really <laughs> dead. <laughs> and also, I was going to ask you questions about stuff I didn't understand about the ending, but from what <laughs> you're like, saying, I can't I'd help probably, you, Kelly Wan. <laughs> that'd be a waste of time. All right, because my mom my so, mom really knows me. She goes, "I'm noticing things I didn't even notice the first two times," and then I thought. <laughs> What the hell is going on? And she was enjoying that. And that's cool. Kelly, it's a movie you really need to see twice. I guess. I think, (laughs) I mean, it's got, you get to see Riley Keogh again. Oh, okay. Wandering around in her little outfits. But uh, the Daniel Craig thing, here's the thing. The last time I saw that fucking guy was Inspector. And he looked so depressed and miserable. And I felt bad for him. (laughs) I felt bad for me. I felt bad for... The helicopter pilot, I felt bad for the Mexican <laughs> nation who had organized to watch this happen. And in this, I at least thought he was enjoying himself, and I liked the bad pacing actually worked, I thought, when he throws the bomb and it doesn't go off, and then it comes back, and then he looked, like he goes on forever, like the Tom Cruise where he's making the uh, floppy disappear and come back in Mission Impossible. I like scenes that are too long, and it's weird. And so that scene kind of, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. So Kelly, I, I, 
I think there's a tactical mistake in that scene because I can understand yeah. that when the bag comes back, like yeah. if we're going to have this idea that he's going to he's going to be the type of character to whip out a piece of chalk and write up the formula on the wall for them. I mean, okay, it's outrageous humor. We're going to pretend he's that character. Yeah, when they have the bag that kind then, of time too. Right, and then when the bag then comes back and oh no, I twisted it too many times. Yeah. What? So like it's, it's not it's, they're not selling us some chemical reaction. It's suddenly in the realm of just nonsense. Like yes. it's not that he's a chemist. It's just that this is a nonsense universe where if you twist the bag six times, it won't blow up. You have to only twist it four times. Right. right. Like that. Go with one joke or the other. But no. it, just the fact that they were both slammed together with no regard for. Is this consistent to this character? Is this consistent to the type of joke I'm making about this character? Right, uh, I, I just thought it was a mess. Uh, it wasn't a consistent joke, but I like it as a line because it's such a weird throwaway. It's like, oh, I twisted it too much. Right. Like, that's literally sure. all you're given as to what, what the last five minutes of screen time are. Is but it's not all you're given because you were – Kelly, one, I agree with you. That would be funny, but you were just given the fact that Daniel Craig is a guy who breaks down chemical formulas on a right. wall using a piece of chalk. He's Walter right. White, right? Exactly. And Walter White never is like, oh, twist the bag three times. Like, like if we're going to ground him in this idea that he's a scientific genius, and then we're going to introduce the, this idea that no, a bag doesn't go off if you twist the, the top of it six times instead of four. That's just that's that's just a mess. That's not. That's not consistent humor. That's just throwing things at the screen to see what sticks. That's like two different writers coming up with different jokes and deciding, ah, you know what, they're both funny, we'll put them both in there. Exactly right, yeah. I don't know if it even was funny, and that's why I kind of liked it. Is like, <laughs> you go, it, goes, it doesn't blow up, and you go, oh, what's the payoff of this joke going to be? And you're like, oh, it's going to be that he needs to put in another gummy bear. He's going to see something really funny. And you're, li- you're like, what's going to happen? And then he just goes, oh, I tied the bag too much. And he throws it in. And so for some reason, that struck me as funny. Um, but it's, it's Wile E. Coyote and a movie. I mean, it's not... But with that they haven't line. chosen whether or not it's going to be a cartoon or not. Uh, if you want to make it a cartoon, then make it a cartoon and go all the way. Because what this, all this other shit. Yeah, one, one angle of this is to do uh, is to do a straight up "Oh brother, we're out there" kind of thing, mm-hmm. where they're all completely outright right. cartoonish caricatures, and there's a kind of affection in that movie. Uh, and there's none of that here. Like I, I didn't feel that there was any affection. No, they were, and the brothers are super mean to them, and like, oh yeah, he just joined the Iraq War. Like, why are they saying right. that to him now? Right, like, right, right. Exactly. All times, and why do they care? And why would they say it then? And yeah, why would exactly. they care? Yeah. Right, right. And one of the, one of the things I wrote down in my notes, and I'm glad you brought that. Uh, oh, brother, we're out though, Tom, because uh, for me, when they go out to meet the bear in the woods, go meet right. the bear. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes exactly. I, I was thinking this is like a cross between a Wes Anderson movie and a terrible version of Coen Brothers. Well, you it know, just, what, yeah, you know what? It, it, the scene directly reminds me of, and this is a very minor thing. You guys not, might not remember this. There's a weird scene in True Grit, the Coen Brothers True Grit, Grit, where they meet a guy in mm-hmm. a bear outfit. He's like a bounty hunter, and it's that same yeah. thing. It's, why is that guy dressed like a bear? The movie doesn't explain it to you, but it's a, it's, a, it's a setting where, okay, a mountain man might show up. But it's a weird thing like that. A guy just shows up in a bear suit and gives him something and then walks off screen. Like, like this is literally like a Coen Brothers movie yeah. thing. It, almost, almost exactly a Coen Brothers thing, Dingus, yeah. Right. But a poorly done one, because it doesn't even follow what he's told to do. <laughs> like, go meet the bear man and tell him you need the bag. And so what we see is actually just them walking up and seeing a guy in a bear costume hand them a bag. 
And not only that, Soderbergh can't resist. Like, do you remember the edit in that? Is they they have the bear fade out of the picture without cutting right. away from the screen. What? Why is like what? What? That that's movie language for somebody vanishing. Right. That, that's not used anywhere else in the movie. I, I mean, why did Steven Soderbergh edit it that way? I don't know. Uh, it's just again, yeah. it felt like throwing things at the wall, see what sticks. Uh, but I'm going to say, I want to say something about the movie that I think I would have expected Tom to say, and uh-huh. so I want to know if you if you follow my read on this. Okay. Because, uh, and this isn't something I normally like to think about, but in the wake of Charlottesville, <laughs> I like this movie in a way for like. It's, it's like you show it to people in the South and then go, see, look, we're not so different. We make caper movies. You like, and here's characters that are sort of modeled after you that are really cartoonish, but still, it's set in West Virginia. You know, we don't have to, it doesn't have to be a civil war. We can all enjoy Ocean 7 Eleven together. Like it's well, an olive branch. That's a really right. weird. Right. Go ahead, Tom. Well, no, no, you go, because I, I wanted to say. Uh, I, I think that might. I, I think Ding. I would rather hear what Dingus has to say about that. Is what I was going to say. I, I think that's a really weird take on this, Kelly. I don't understand. I don't understand the connection. Take, well, you both well, think hey, it's it, snide and condescending. Well, well I, I just want to put if it. That this was way. in. If, if that was in. If that was unintentional, then my my read is more accurate. <laughs> Well, the timing obviously is not intentional because he had no way uh, no. of knowing this was going to happen. But no, I do no, want to. I, I do want to put it this way. So, Dingus, does this you finding this offensive? Does the timing of it, and by no fault of Steven Soderbergh's or these yahoos in Charlottesville, yeah. does the timing right. of it mean anything to you, Dingus, or in any way feed or inform your opinion of this movie? I don't think it does. I just think okay. it. I think it's offensive just because I know. I know. A lot, I know a lot of these people and I grew up in you know my grandmother grew up in Georgia um, I I lived in Texas I lived in Georgia I lived in Ohio I lived in Virginia I lived in West Virginia I've been through all of those areas been I've been in that part of the country and that's, I, I understand if you want to like there's a thing you can do with with like a oh, brother where aren't thou which I think makes a certain amount of sense uh, because they have an understanding and a handle on their tone. And I don't think this movie has an understanding or a handle on its tone. And I think it just feels like a bunch of Hollywood types pretending to be Southerners and making fun of them. It just feels like it's making fun uh, of them. I think they're trying to do that. They just, that lack, it's just, I don't know. There's no sense of place. Well, um, I don't think they understand how, how that, you know, I was thinking about this, this game that we play sometimes. I think it's called Thunder Alley. Um, that is a NASCAR game. It's not branded as a NASCAR game. I'm not sure if it's called Thunder Alley. Um, but uh, our friend Alexandra likes to play it a lot, and she lived in Alabama for a short amount of time. Um, uh-huh. And I really like the appreciation and understanding because I have a couple of other friends who really love NASCAR. Uh, I myself don't because I don't understand the whole, you know, we're going to drive around the thing and turn left for 600 miles uh, thing. But I understand that a ton of people like it. And I understand that there's a weird thing about that, that you can make a cultural comment about it that's actually trenchant. Um, but just making fun of it in, like, Channing Tatum, who I really like, doing a terrible southern accent is a terrible way to go. 
I don't think but that he's supposed to be a, any a, use for that. And uh, so I, I'm not quite sure what you're asking, Tom, as far as uh, of timing is concerned, but I just don't think it's useful. But that's not his fault. It's not Soderbergh's fault. I just don't think he was thoughtful. But it's a tone deafness and not me. Like, I think no, I, I don't think it's mean spiritedness as far as where we are timing wise. I just don't. I mean, his first movie, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, also. Uh, deals with going into the South, a, a, a Northern character going into the South. His name's Graham, and he's like, because uh, his parents were Anglophiles, and, um, you know, kind of being inside Southern culture, but they're not making fun of it. And it just feels like this is just making fun of it. But let me ask uh, you this. If you saw this with your family, would they like it, or would they feel insulted like you are saying like would they go hey this movie's making fun of us would they go ah, ha, ha, stole from the racetrack Woo! I like, think they would those think is... it was a bunch of Hollywood types making fun that's what they'd say okay. I don't think they would care that much I don't because my mom was really into it and I thought maybe she's representing like the South like that's this movie's supposed to be reaching in its sort of ham-fisted way. Well, my folks are really Except conservative. I don't, I don't know how much this movie deals with that. I mean, there's a lot of um, patriotic imagery. There's the whole America the Beautiful, which goes on and on and on. There's the soldiers coming down off of the helicopters. I mean, there's a lot of that imagery there, and that's not being made fun of. Um, and that's and you know the and the jets flying over. I mean, that's all a part of NASCAR. Um, and but I don't I think, think the movie's making fun of that. I just don't – maybe the movie's not making fun of it. I just don't think the movie's bothering to um, actually get it right. Yeah. But is what it you for going, lack of trying for, or lack of ability? I think it's both. I think it's I, – I think it's – I think they haven't taken their time. I don't think that these actors can't do it. I just don't think they took the time to do it, and that's because the director was just messing around. Yeah, I, I would say, Kelly Wand, it is, and I do want to mention the Charlottesville thing in a minute, but I, I would say for me it is definitely more of a lack of trying. I don't think this movie intends to have any insight into the South, uh, and I don't think yeah. it does. Uh, and that's kind of why I think it's snide and condescending, is he's got this setting, and there are actually some cool things about the setting I want to mention as well, but he's got this setting that he doesn't really care to explore beyond cheap, inconsistent, easy jokes. And I don't doubt, for instance, that people in West Virginia and Virginia and South Carolina would find this some of it funny. Like, this is very easy, low-brow, dumb, unsophisticated humor, and I, I have no problem with that. I, you know, I think Beavis and Butthead is brilliant. I love that. I think that that's, that, that's, um, that's Mike Judge is, is, is amazing humor, uh, and it's dumb, and it's low-brow, uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but I, I, I think the problem, Kelly Wan, is that it's not, yeah, it's, it's not trying to have any sign. And, and Dingus, is it, it's not trying, and it's not a lack of ability. Because as I mentioned earlier, he does have the ability. You know, Dingus mentioned sex lies and videotape. They're, they're a, that's a sort of a southern culture. But again, Bubble is a movie about working people, about blue-collar workers and listless young kids working in factories, just letting their lives bleed away from them, and women who been there their whole lives and just uh, there's this this sort of blue collar malaise that he explores with keen insight and bubble uh, so he can do it and I think here he just didn't care to do it uh, and as for the timing because I did think about this like I watch some of this and I think 
oh, Trump voters. And that's really unfair of right. me, by the way. That's absolutely unfair of me because the important thing to remember about Charlottesville and to remember, too, when you watch this movie and you might think, oh, Trump voters – which is not the case. The important thing to remember is Charlottesville was not about the South. It was about racists co-opting Southern history as a, a dog whistle, as a way to invoke slavery, as a way to invoke uh, institutionalized racism, to dehumanize minorities. That is not a Southern value. That is a racist value mm. that co-ops Southern history. And Charlottesville, the important thing to remember about that is you know, these neo-Nazis showed up but furthermore, people who were opposed to the neo-Nazis also showed up. Charlottesville is not synonymous right. with the alt-right. It's, it's just where they happened to kick up a fuss, and people showed up to, to protest against what they were saying. Um, so I just, I just want to say this is making fun of the South. The South is not Charlottesville. Charlottesville is not the South. Uh, and uh, yeah, so th that was well, just. I mean, fine. there's no Charlottesville in the movie. I didn't mean to imply that. Right, 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 right. But uh, yeah, but uh, I, I mean, I did. Like, I, I watched this. You know, Trump voters are, if anything, it's a rural, uh, urban divide more more than a north south. Right, right, right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's the I, frustrating I, thing about it is that we're actually on their side, and they're like. They don't seem well, to get that. Well, here's the, here's the thing in that I, I don't think it's a lack of ability. It's a lack of trying because there were little bits in this script of world building that – and again, it's part of my problem with the inconsistency of it – that just went by the wayside and went anywhere, didn't go anywhere. And those little bits were – this was – a community where sinkholes were opening up underneath it, where the water was polluted and they couldn't drink it, where uh, there were these weirdly there were these weird kitty beauty pageants where the little girls were being told don't eat ice cream it'll make yeah. you fat look like Rihanna, where uh, maimed war veterans had dead end jobs, um, and they had this fantasy about shooting money out of a fire hose basically like yeah. that's some cool imagery to me and that could have been some cool world building that i think the movie just didn't care to explore you know it right. was there in the script but nobody cared to to bring it out it just were little touches that at some point or another didn't get cut and were just sort of left dangling there unexplored uh, those things do fizzle out there's nothing in the ending that reflects anything about that so right like right. you're right and in fact the arm is just like a it's a MacGuffin. i, I don't get the thing about the arm either did she bring the arm to the bar um or did they have it there like well, that's the whole thing is the reveal no, is, she, was the arm no, intentional he, right like he threw the arm in so that the machine would would mess up and they would have to leave and leave him alone i, right. I don't know really uh, i didn't even think yeah yeah i think the arm was a ruse that they're, i don't know i could and now that, it's clear that they, they collect the arm at the end because the machine opens up at the end when they're there yeah they had to get the brothers and daniel craig away right. and uh yeah which again i'm not sure why because they, they give him the money right uh i don't yeah i it was a lot of that was lost on me which, so the whole redemption remorse oh my daughter sang a song so I'm gonna, we, I'm gonna fuck my friends over that just did all this for me. And uh, how likely is it that all those people know the words to a 1971 John Denver song? Right, like it's I, a national anthem. Right, exactly. I do not think so. I seriously doubt. It. Except only Katie Holmes doesn't know the words. Yeah, oh, poor Katie Holmes. She's, she's not from there. That's right. She's not one of them. Right. <laughs> That's because she's McFarlane. 
<laughs> this is all a testament to dad, and she's the mom. Right. I mean, that, that was the dynamic. So, Dingus, you really knew that uh, Riley Keough was uh, Channing Tatum's sister? Yeah. Instantly. How did you, like, does it say that early on and I just missed a bit of dialogue? Or could you tell by the way they interact? Or from their body language? Yeah. yeah. No, it's not from their body language. It's because when they're talking about the curse. And because she has that thing around her neck that says Melly, and then they say they have that whole list of the things about the cursed, and Melly hasn't been cursed. That why would I mean you could say that about your wife though like what that would still apply if she was married because then no Logan your wife doesn't get your curse I mean it was clear to me that I don't know how curses work I don't think the movie yeah, right. either fair enough I thought when I mean, you got married, it, you're part of it. I, I seriously thought they were married until the very end when someone says sister and I was seriously oh God, watching that scene thought they were married until the very end until yeah in that scene with Catherine Waterston I was like what is he doing. Are we just? Is he like that kid in Jurassic World? <laughs> just goes ahead and he, uh, <laughs> like. Are we supposed? To, what are we supposed to think about him doing no, this? Because he's married. Because his daughter is constantly referring to her as Aunt Melly. No, nah, she says mom a couple of times. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, to her mom. <laughs> but she, they talk Jurassic about World Aunt Melly. Oh, he's right. This yeah, how, Katie Holmes was the was the mom. This is how families work. Oh no the no no! Aunt is not the Katie mom, Holmes even in West Virginia. Right. Katie Holmes got remarried. How do you know that Katie didn't remarry Riley Keough? And that the word Aunt Melly was just a term of endearment. Right. Like the way old men call their wives mother. Yeah. Yeah. See? You guys, come on. Love it. I I can't believe you both missed this. It was... uh, All right. You know what? They didn't physically resemble each other, so they can't be siblings. Exactly. Well, you didn't see him in baby shorts unless you've watched Magic Mike this week. Week. It's a weekly thing. Well, yeah, if you're me. Uh, so uh, you guys the, I did like the water thing, though, I have to admit, because uh, oh. my, my folks, my dad's folks in central Pennsylvania grew up in mining and coal mining country up there. Um, uh, all my dad's uh, my dad's relatives are up there. And I just remember as a kid visiting up there and we were never allowed to drink any of the water uh, because there was a parasite in the whole water system and you could get horribly sick really fast. So him drinking from the faucet immediately had a connection for me. That it'll make you throw up in a, in a way you can predict that you'll. No, not necessarily. It was just, it was just like this scary. This is going to make you super sick. And it was more of a, you know, coming out the other end kind of a sickness, I think, than rather than just barfing suddenly in, in the cafeteria. Uh, but I remember visiting my relatives in central Pennsylvania and just being told, you can't drink, don't drink the water out of the faucet. And it, when the nurse is saying, well, you can shower in it for some reason. Um, uh, <laughs> but do. that whole drinking out of the faucet thing uh, totally resonated with me that. And I like that Tom brought that up. Virginia's our Mexico. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, Peter Pan, Mary Free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves old Kevin. Oh, Kevin, are you saying that we should make Virginia pay for a wall? Yeah. How about we pay for it and they just reimburse us later, somehow? Okay. Unfortunately, I didn't bring up anything that Chris Markinson had to say about this movie. Oh, oh we made Chris Markinson see Logan Lucky. Uh, what did he think, Dingus? Yeah. He liked it. Oh, good. Okay.
Well, he does think the movie perhaps lends credence to Bruce Garrick's belief that all movies should end 10 minutes earlier. Well, it you know, it, critic 93% of the reviews were positive, which surprised me. Uh, I never would have guessed this movie reviewed well. Uh, I, I would have thought people... Because I don't think... I don't, I don't know what critics think, but I can't imagine people had much patience with the Ocean's Eleven movies playing out. Like, those must have gotten uh, increasingly yeah. reading. And so why did critics have patience with this? The setting? or I, I don't know. Um, uh, did you guys... No, okay, so Dingus didn't notice this. Kelly Wan, did you notice the the credits? They have that little disclaimer about uh, no animals were harmed. This doesn't resemble any person living or fictitious. Did you see that little thing at the end? Did you see what it said? No. So oh, Dingus yeah, introducing Daniel too. Craig. Well, the introducing Daniel Craig, I didn't understand either. That was weird. Uh, and also, I love that they couldn't li- license uh, Rihanna's umbrella. That was kind of uh-huh. uh, too cheap for that. Uh, so at the end, it says no one was robbed during the making during the making of this motion picture. Period. Uh-huh. Wait, no one was robbed during the making of this motion picture. Period. The except audience. you. Uh, oh, really? That right. is what it said. Those were the last word. The credit scroll. There's that thing that said no one resembling persons living are dangerous. No animals were harmed. No one was robbed during the making of this motion picture, except you. Whoa! Well, there was a little, so he was that—that that was his redemption, and he was giving us some honesty. I some truth no, bombs. I don't know what that was. I don't know if I—I I, I couldn't believe well, I, I saw that. I totally agree with that. I yeah. think that's what he was doing. That, that's that, been my contention for this whole podcast. I think authentic part of the movie were those two words. Yeah. Holy cats! So uh, Chris Barkinson also agrees with Kelly that Daniel Craig—he liked Daniel Craig. Um. And he See? could not tell that the asshole character was Seth MacFarlane. Right. Um, what? He said, I did like that the guy who played Statham's doctor in the Crank movies as the warden. Dwight Yoakam. That's the, please. It's Dwight Yoakam. Oh, Dwight Yoakam was, it, was in the Crank movies? I didn't know that. Well, I thought he, it was Steve Coogan. Is, uh, he's in Sling Blade. Uh, I guess that's his main thing, but... Yeah, it's totally Dwight Yoakam, and that's how he really talks. That's how people in the South talk. All right, well, let's do a three-by-three. Speaking of uh, political issues, so uh, the transgender ban, the ban on transgender soldiers in the military that Trump tweeted about, he actually, between when we announced the topic last week and when we're recording, which is on uh, August 29th, he's actually now sent a directive to the Pentagon, and they have, I think, six months to implement uh, a ban on transgender uh, folks joining the military and a ban on any expenditures on uh, medical spending related to transgender health issues. Uh, mm. People who are currently transgender soldiers in the military, the jury's still out there, but it's I'm guessing they're probably not going to get kicked out of service. I don't know. We'll find out. So anyway, that just made me think. Thanks, Trump. You know, thanks for setting uh, the co- our causes back a year because this is something and that Obama army smaller, making him smaller. I know. I mean, I've, I've heard various estimates. Like I've heard fifteen thousand transgender 15, soldiers. Fifteen thousand is what I've heard that too. Yeah, that seems a little high, but uh, who knows? Um, so, but the, I mean, the thing is, this was literally something that a year ago uh, Obama fixed. 
And, you know, the Pentagon was in the process of implementing this, this idea that we, we can't prevent transgender soldiers from joining. If you want to join the military, you should be allowed to join the military. That's inane to prevent someone from offering to lay down your life for your country. That's just stupid. So Obama has lifted that, and we've come through. It's been 20 years since Clinton had to navigate the whole issue with, uh, with, with gay people in the military, and we were now moving on to transgender folks, and now we're just taking a step backwards, and it's hugely depressing. So I wanted to talk about transgender characters in movies because, Kelly Wan, when I mentioned it, you said, well, that's a tough one. I can think of several. And I had a hard time narrowing it down to three because cool. movies, friendly to the arts, friendly to alternative lifestyles, generally, that sort of creative impulse. Right. There's some and great. There's lots of makeup. There's makeup in movies. I mean, a, a lot of. Uh, 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 there, there's this idea of showmanship, which I think a lot of. I, actually, you know what? I, I don't know how transgender folks feel or think. So a lot of what I do know, aside from friends that I've had in theater, people I know, is what I've learned from movies, for good and worse. Uh, so I want us to talk about that by picking our three favorite transgender characters. Uh, now, transgender, of course, it can mean transvestite, which means someone who dresses up in the opposite sex's clothes. It can mean a transsexual who is undergoing either a chemical or surgical procedures to uh, transition to another gender. So transgender is just the catch-all term. There are a few different categories under that. Uh, and let's yeah. talk about how they're represented in – no, I don't. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get – I do not get that, Kelly Wand. Oh. Uh, and so, Kelly Wand, why don't you go first because you're introducing next week's topic. Give us your third favorite transgender character – in a movie. And was this really hard for you to come up with three? Not really. Yeah. Once I, I mean, started we're thinking gonna, about We're going to have some overlap, of course, but that's okay. I mean, and even... I mean, I even tried to stick to actual transgender as opposed to transvestites and stuff, because that really is a large net, but it doesn't seem like the same thing. Like, I don't get if, if the it Donald is. Trump ban includes transvestites like that's if his, if his complaints that it's surgery related well transgender is sort of an umbrella term is it but is it in in is it in the way trump's saying it? yeah i mean i just explained it can be someone who wants to wear the opposite sex's clothes or it can mm -hmm. be someone who is chemically or surgically transitioning to the other uh, to another that's gender. what you said for the right. topic but is that how trump means it well that's what transgender Transgender means, yeah. Oh, now, okay. now I think if Trump doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, so that, just, I know that. But. Well, he does, Dingus, in that there. I mean, the, the, Trump doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's reversing. Right. He's not just coming up with this out of the blue. He's reversing stuff Obama was doing. I mean, he's oh, he responding to something that was underway. He is rescinding a, a process that was underway at the Pentagon. He's not just making stuff up. He's saying Obama did this. Roll that back. Uh, and he right, tweets about right. it, and then he has people explain to him, well, you can't tweet. You've actually got to write things and send that to the Pentagon. So he does that. The Pentagon's dealing with it. I mean, the ACLU is on the case. This stuff might get stricken down, we, we hope. Uh, but it's not just him not knowing what the word means. It's him just reacting to something that Obama set in motion. Uh, oh, and it very okay. specifically does, reply, uh, does apply to people who are undergoing physical transitions, and presumably it, uh, it applies to transvestites. You know, Jamie... Uh, uh, Far? What's the guy in Mash? Clinger. Is yeah, Jimmy Far. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I can't imagine that's an actual thing in the military. But presumably that would apply to to a character like that. I, again, I can't imagine there are people like that in the military. Maybe there are, but they would fall under uh, this ban. Uh, 
That was Klinger's theory was they think he's crazy for wearing dresses. Although I right. don't know where he's getting the dresses. That's my fucking question. From Loretta Swift. 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 What's her name? She doesn't wear them. Swift. 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 He also ate a Jeep, though. So that's something else. The the fun thing to me, the ironic thing, is as usual, Trump's doing what he's talking about not doing. Like, he's gelding a transgender policy. So he's, like, changing it to a different gender. <laughs> so, but not but he, noticing. He instituted the rule by tweeting it. He instituted right. a military rule by tweeting Without it. Without telling so anyone. I think he actually understands what the definition of transgender is, and, and it is an umbrella term. Do you think he or actually law. understands that or cares? Or if he's just trying to satisfy his base by doing this? Does the base care that much about it? Oh, yeah. Look at, look at yeah, the legislation about, about bathrooms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, this, this weird... Yeah, but the military... The military does, and that's the funny thing, is that... Uh, the military does uh, not care. Yeah, well, they, they'll do what they're told. I mean, the military is run by its, the executive branch. They'll do what they're told. Uh, but the military was going along with the way that Obama... With going along with what they were instructed by their previous commander-in-chief to do. Right. They were going along with that. And... Uh, they basically, the Pentagon said after the tweet, well, we don't work from tweets, so we're just kind of hanging fire until we're told otherwise. Yeah, so this right. past week, they were told otherwise. Like I said, the ACLU rose to the occasion. This is far from over. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Maybe uh, it'll be they're just Trump's going to have an institute in the law that his tweets are now official laws. And so that's how he's going to direct the military is mm, no okay. <laughs> I wish you hadn't said that because he's probably going to do that now. I hope he's listening. I have lots of ideas for him. Don't think the executive branch gets to pass laws. I'm pretty sure. My, we finally have a president who I'd be a better president. That's that how is, bad things have gotten. That is true, Kelly Mond. I think you might have. You would have rivaled uh, uh, Bush. I think probably. I like to think so, <laughs> but I would have fucking annihilated Trump. I'll tell you that. <laughs> as stoned as on my most stoned day. Right. But enough about my campaign. My number three... Kelly Wood, you've got my vote. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because <laughs> he didn't have any money when he ran. So I can do it. Get yourself, on? get yourself a reality talk show. You're set. I'm working on it. Um, my number three favorite transgender character... I'll do a quote from it. Huh? Ragnar. Ragnar? Ragnar, fork over the Ram-K, bitch. Do you remember that one? God, I don't. I feel like I would... Ragnar? What? Do you know uh, that? Is? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. I feel like I should know it. It sounds... Uh, are you familiar with John Stamos's first movie role in Never Too Young to Die when he played spy Lance Stargrove, the son I of George not. Lazenby? Uh, yeah, go on. And the villain in it was Ragnar, a hermaphrodite played by Gene Simmons. And then at the end of the movie, they're fighting on the Hoover Dam. And then Ragnar, uh, he bites her tit, I think. And then Ragnar's like, I'm half man, half woman. I'm better than you are. And then Stamos goes, yeah, but I'm a whole man. I'm perfect. And then she, Ragnar screams and then attacks him and then explodes or something. So Gene Simmons plays a hermaphrodite. Yeah, Ragnar, the hermaphrodite. What movie is this again? Never Too Young to Die? Yeah, I don't think... Okay. 
Yeah, I don't think a hermaphrodite is a transgender character. I think Vanity's in it. I forget. I get Vanity and Apollonia mixed up, but I think it's Vanity. Hermaphrodite isn't trans. Okay. You know, he he tried Dingus. I'll give him credit. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) I thought I understood. Dingus, consider how much worse it could have been. All right. My other two were. I have a friend who was very nervous about this, so I explained like where where it was coming from because I thought that you know, given some of the history of this podcast, that this could have just been made fun of. But I explained like, look, this is this is I think where Tom is coming (laughs) from. So he's in a really good place. I mean, he's coming from a really good place. What's some of the the history of this podcast? What do you mean? Yeah, what's that mean? (laughs) What is that? Uh, I'm not going to say you guys. What? What? <laughs> we have a secret history? <laughs> we do. Kelly, I'm sure it's something you've said. I don't think it's anything I did. So but there. the way he just said it, he goes, but Tom, what Tom meant was this, like, you're the problem. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> like, this time, I'm not going to no, no. do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying there's nothing to worry about because uh, I, th- I, think we're, I think we're all on the same page here. Okay. Never tee out of a die. Ragnar, Gene Simmons, uh, Kelly Wan, Same page. He, is he a better <laughs> villain in Never Too Young to Die than he is in, um, shoot, what's the Tom Selleck thing? Runaway. 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 No, oh I knew. My. I thought of it before you told me. I thought of it. I totally thought of it. Uh, he's more fearsome because he's got uh, female body parts. All right. So in a way, he's more terrifying. Now, do they make him up? Is he just Gene Simmons or do they do anything to make him, like, is, does he cross-dress or anything? Or what, yeah, what do they he cross-dresses. Do? All right. Well, in that case, he's a transvestite. I'll, call, I'll he accept that. He's all, hand me that pen, would you, Billy, dear? He's so system. He does a little bit of Tim Curry. In it. Yeah, now see, oh. He oh, minces. God. He minces? Yeah, he has, he has minces. I can't believe I didn't think it. of that one. I did, I, good Lord, I just because I don't like that movie. All right. Rocky yeah, Horror? I, I've never yeah. seen it. Rocky Horror just makes no sense to me, but of course Tim Curry's like a famous. You know what? It, maybe it's like, shut up, shut up, Tom. You might preempt someone's pick. <laughs> All right, Dingus, does it what make is your... sense to you, <laughs> Tom? Your... That movie is what it is. Okay? <laughs> Dingus, what you, who is your third favorite trans? Should, Tom, your... that movie has Susan Sarandon in it, who's super funny. No, I know, I know. Believe me, you don't have to tell. She me. does really. There's a song she sings called "Touch Me." She gets really excited. Okay, I'm sorry. Back to Dingus. And uh, Barry Boswick is in it? Yeah. And me- oh, Barry well done. No, I've seen it. I know I know Rocky Horror Picture Show. I just don't get it. Yeah. I've but seen you know it what? recently, and I, it, it was kind of holding up for me, actually. Kinda. Well, I, I, I mean, I, sure, I, I didn't understand. I saw it as a, as a kid. I think I've seen it once since then. Uh, I, Tim Curry, I'm sure, has got to be fascinating to watch in that. He's great in it. Uh, and you're right, you're, Susan Sarandon, super young, hot Susan oh Sarandon. Who could take issue with that? Yeah, she's amazing. I just always thought it was a a a purely theatrical experience, and since I never had that theatrical experience, because it was just it seemed like something that people would go and get dressed up and go right. and perform and do while watching the movie. And since I never had that experience, it seemed like a wasted experience to watch it on. To be fair to myself and my age, VHS. Um, it, it seemed like kind of a waste. Not worth seeing without the experience. Because it seemed like the whole thing was an experience. And, like looking at a postcard so of a circus. Yeah, kind of. Okay, well, I'm guessing nobody then picked that, so we can talk about it. So, so Dingus, you know what it is? It's, it's, um, it, it's very much a celebration of a drag queen. 
oh. and it's it's very transgender friendly. And as such, I think it it brought it it had a huge cult following, and among that cult following were, were probably drag queens. Um, and there's amongst a lot of drag queens, and we'll get into this in one of my picks. There's this idea of showmanship and getting up and lip syncing and performing along with a, a beloved singer or performer. And right. I think Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of tapped into that that kind of entertainment and that creative impulse. Uh, it's 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 a crazy ode in a way to old horror movies, but it's more a celebration of being in drag uh, and being unabashed about it. And Tim Curry is amazing in it. Yeah. yeah. So, and I got to so say, the difference between being in drag and being—I mean—is is being in drag under the umbrella of transgender? Huh? It is because okay. I one of the movies that I saw they uh, well you know what well, well yeah in one of the, okay you know what it's my number one pick we'll get into that in a little bit if we don't beforehand but hold that thought Dingus because I I glad right. you mentioned right. that that's fine hold it tight where were we <laughs> whose turn was it all right it's my turn next oh yeah yeah Dingus's turn. All right, so it was really difficult uh, doing this topic because I think it's a, I think it's a really good topic, Tom. Um, but a lot of them, you're welcome, Kelly. Um, but uh, it was really difficult because a lot of them, a lot of the things I was looking at were um, prison related uh, oh. and uh, criminal related. Um, and uh, wow, I can't wait to hear what those. Are. So I love okay. how he's how he's saying it like carefully. <laughs> well, you well, were well. I I mean, so the Spider Woman, right? Like that. Well, some some of the times uh, transgender can be used as a twist or a joke, and just a joke. Get it? Um, yeah. Uh, cool. And some of the time, it's it's just uh, brutal. Uh, and in this particular case, this is brutal. But it's in a movie that I don't. Having watched it again this week, I mean, I had fonder mem. I had fonder memories of it um, than it actually deserves. I think. I think it's a weird. Tonally, it's a really weird movie. And this is the movie Injustice for All. Uh, have you guys seen this movie? Oh in my life? god! Of course, right, right. The is it Jeffrey's out of order? No, yeah, right. no, I, I, yeah, go on, Dingus. I've, I've definitely seen this, yeah. All right, so um, Sydney Lumet. No, it's Norm Jewison. Oh, um, so Sydney Lumet did the other one. Um, so uh, no, an, another one that will probably come up, I imagine. Maybe not. Anyway, so uh, and Justice for All deals with. Uh, um, Al Pacino is this lawyer who, we, when, we, when the movie starts out, he's in jail. Uh, and he's sitting in jail because he's in for contempt of court for trying to punch a judge um, who is a judge who will end up representing later in the movie. Um, but one of the clients that he has to represent or that he decides to represent is this guy named Ralph Agee, um, who's played by this guy named Ralph Christian. And there's this whole sequence in the beginning of the movie where um, A.G. comes in and this is where it's difficult for me because I don't know what pronouns to use uh, because in the movie they're using he, but nowadays we would use she because there's a later sequence in the movie where Al Pacino has to hand the case over to 
his partner, one of his partners in his law firm, who totally fucks it up and um, and calls and says he's going to wear a wig. It makes him feel better. Don't let that weird you out. Right, right. The guy totally screws it up because all he cares about is this other meeting he has to have where he's tra- overcharging another client. So he misses the hearing that he's supposed to be at where the the parole agreement will be settled upon and all of these different things have to happen. It's just all this procedural stuff that happens in and Justice for All, which is great, except for the tone of the movie is just, it, it gets really weird tonally because it, it gets goofy sometimes and not, and very serious at other times. So it's a very jarring movie. Um, but this particular character, this, uh, this, this Ralph Agee character is um, a transsexual. Uh, you know, she's wearing a blonde wig. She's dressed as a woman. She's marched into the uh, into the jail cells, and she's made to strip and uh, take off her wig. And every time she takes off her wig, um, this actor Robert Christian is—he's just amazing in this part. It's just this painful moment. It's like if it's too cold and you take off a hat and you feel like your head is going to freeze. Whenever he takes off his wig, when he's forced to do that by the judge or whomever, the worst part is this moment in front of all the prisoners uh, where he, and again, I apologize because I don't know what pronoun to use because of the time period of this movie. Um, when he's forced to strip in front of them and they're making fun of this whole thing that's going on here. This is one of those early, like forced understandings of what transgender is and, um, and him getting caught up in the system. But this is part of the injustice for all, uh, part of the whole story of injustice for all is people getting caught up in this, in the, in the cogs of the system and in the corruption of the system. And this is all in Baltimore, actually, by the way, um, which I didn't remember. But uh, the the wig thing, I remembered the wig thing from the Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, somebody posted that in the wig 3 by 3 But what I didn't remember was this wig, which I think is much more uh, emotionally involving. Because uh, I think this actor, this guy really does a great job in this part. If I had been on a game show and someone had said, okay, Tom, for a million dollars, who directed Injustice for All? I would have been like, oh, sweet, I got this, Sidney Lumet. <laughs> wow. I thought so, too, actually. Thank I would be with you on that. Yeah. yeah. Kelly Wan, would you, would you have made those million dollars? I would have said Mamet or Lumet or Monet. <laughs> but that's my answer to most legal movies. So when I was looking... What I was looking for for my picks uh, were I didn't want outrageous, wacky transvestites or uh, transsexuals. I, I didn't want stereotypes played into. I wanted characters who dignified what it's like to have this particular uh, either whether, – whether it's a problem, whether it's a preference, whether it's a lifestyle. I wanted a movie that explored this in a way that dignified it and didn't make a joke out of it or didn't try to denigrate it or didn't make it a failing of this person, for instance. Uh, and I had no problem coming up with these. There's some terrible uh, transgender characters in movies, but these are three who I really think – 
they don't glorify or ennoble them. They're flawed characters, uh, and I have a lot of – there's no other word for this – affection, an enormous amount of affection for all three of them. But one of them I find very attractive, and she's my number three pick. So there is a movie that uh, – I didn't realize this, the Duplass brothers produced this. A guy named Sean Baker directed something called Tangerine, and everybody knows Tangerine is the movie that was made with iPhones, and it was. He, he used five iPhones, saved a lot of money. He shot it with iPhones and put it together, and it was a movie about a day in the life of some transsexuals in, in Hollywood. They're prostitutes. Uh, and he cast it from some people that he found at the uh, LGBT center here in, in Los Angeles. Uh, it's basically about uh, – uh, so, so one of the, the characters, one of the main characters is a woman named Katana Kiki Rodriguez. And her character's name is Cindy, and I think it's got some weird sexy spelling. Uh, and she's not the main character. She's sort of the side character. There's a more grounded character who's kind of uh, the emotional core of the movie, and she, she, we follow her through most of the movie. And her sidekick, uh, Cindy, played by – I love this name too, Katana Kiki Rodriguez, is this adorable transgender dude. And I don't know if – if she's just a transvestite or if there's a if, – if it is a transsexual situation because Maya – oh, shoot. I can't remember her name. The main character early on mentions the effect that the hormones are having. So she's obviously a full-blown transsexual. I don't know if Katana Kiki Rodriguez is or not, but she's freaking adorable. She's got a lovely face. Uh, you know, She's not too campy, but she is super sassy, and the early parts of the movie – she is – she's just running on an indignant rampage through Los Angeles like a Terminator because she's found out that her boyfriend was cheating on her while she was in prison. And she's going to track him down and give him the what for. And, and it's, it's like this Terminator. She's just tearing through Los Angeles, and she's questioning people, and she breaks into a brothel, and she finds the girl that, the, that her boyfriend cheated on her with, and she drags this poor girl who's this super skinny crack whore, a blonde girl looks way just very insubstantial just all bones she drags her by the hair by the arm to where she's going to confront her boyfriend at the end of the movie and what i love about tangerine uh, a how adorable katana kiki rodriguez is but b the relationship that develops between her and the actress playing the crack whore a, a young lady named mickey o'hagan uh, at first, it's, of course, very antagonistic, and trans, uh, uh, Tangerine is shot in a very improvisational style. Uh, Sean Baker obviously just shot a lot of stuff and edited together the good parts of it. Some parts are more successful than others. Some of the people are more comfortable improvisationally than others. Uh, but this, this kind of fury, this indignant rampage that Katana Kiki Rodriguez goes on, super authentic. That comes through very well. So when she gets a hold of Mickey O'Hagan and is dragging her through Los Angeles to confront her boyfriend – they develop a weird relationship that begins as very antagonistic, but as they go through the movie and are forced to spend time together because uh, Cindy is holding – her name is Dina – is holding her hostage basically, um, they kind of come to a weird understanding, and it, it develops at a moment where uh, Cindy is fixing her makeup. And she looks over at, at Dina and realizes that her makeup is messed up. So just as this kind of instinctive gesture, she reaches out to fix her makeup. And they have this little connection where they're looking in the mirror and, and doing lipstick on, on Dina. And it's super touching. 
uh, and they're kind of in a weird way on the same side at that point when they then confront uh, Cindy's boyfriend. Uh, so that's my, she's my third favorite uh, transgender character in a movie because she's adorable, because she's really good in the movie, and because of the relationship that she has with her uh, uh, prisoner, basically. Um, so there you go. Uh, has either of you seen Tangerine? Um, I don't see movies named after citrus fruits. <laughs> All right. Uh, why I, is it called that? Uh, why is it called that, Kelly Wan? I because the tangerine's the transgender version of an orange. I think one of the songs a character sings is called Tangerine. Oh. I don't know. That's a very good question, Kelly Wand. Yes, I have seen it. Um I couldn't abide it. I'm 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 really happy to hear that you liked it, but I felt it was all gimmick and it, it just I, I would I just didn't have the patience for it because Oh, did you not get act to the- in it? Did you get to the end? Because it has, it, I was yeah. kicking myself during the wig scene. Because it has at the end, uh, Cindy gets assaulted by some dudes driving by in a car, and they throw a cup of pee on her. They, they like yell at her, uh, and she thinks she's calling them over to, to for a, a pickup. And they throw pee on her and yell, you know, Merry Christmas, faggot, because this thing takes place on Christmas Eve. This movie right. does. Right. And Cindy has just had a, a disagreement with her friend, whose name is Alexandra, and they're at odds with each other, and when Alexandra sees how devastated Cindy is, she takes her to a laundromat, she takes her clothes off, and uh, they, they're washing her clothes. And there's this really poignant um, taking away of Cindy's armor as it becomes clear that, that uh. she's a man. The, you know, she takes off her shirt. She doesn't have any breasts. She takes off her wig. Even her wig's got pee in it. Uh, and she's got the, you know, she's got the hairnet on over her real hair. And you can still see, you know, whenever Kiki, Katana Kiki Rodriguez was a boy, she's a very pretty boy. And she's, of course, a very pretty woman. Um, so while they're washing her clothes, there's a moment where Alexandra and Cindy are just sitting there and Cindy has been completely stripped of her armor, of her costume, of her, of her identity, really. And Alexandra, who at this point, they're, they're so angry with each other. Everything's gone to hell. Uh, Alexandra just understands that so well that she takes off her wig and she gives it to Cindy uh, while they're sitting there in the laundromat waiting for Cindy's clothes to dry. Mm. I did love that moment. I will agree with you on that. And I, and I do think that Kelly would like this movie because of his penchant, penchant for one-day movies. You know, it's very much happen. an urban odyssey through yeah. the transgender sex worker scene of Los Angeles. But oh, I, I felt like that. I was being asked to watch an experiment, uh, which, you know, it, it, which kind of relates to the movie we watched today. I felt like I was asked to watch an experiment. Uh, we're just going to throw this thing up on the screen. And I'll deal with that with Bubble. Uh, I didn't like it with uh, well, the movie we watched today. Um, and with Tangerine, I just got really impatient with it because uh, it just felt uh, it felt undisciplined, and I don't know. It just it, it 
it, it just didn't work for me. That's that's fine, but uh, I, I think it's super unfair to compare it to the movie today because yeah, it, it has I, a I lot of. I agree with you. I shouldn't have done that. But, yeah, Sean, but, Sean Baker went really deep into the. You know, he he worked with with transgender folks. Like he went to this LGBT right. center here in Los Angeles, and he let them do their dialogue. Like, and it has a rough improvisational edge. I can understand that being off-putting, but it, there's also a lot of filmmaking craft in it. Like the what he does with music, uh, it can be overbearing. At times, it's shot kind of like crank. Just like crazy over yeah. the top, we're, we're getting wacky. Uh, so there's a lot of style to it, which I can imagine being offsetting as well, off-putting as well. Um, but the, the the chick Mickey O'Hagan, though, it's it's really funny when she comes on screen, and certainly uh, James Ransom comes on later as well. You can identify who the real actors are. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you can tell. Okay, these are people who are doing improv. They're a little new to it. He's of course being very patient. He's letting them try different things. But with uh, Mickey O'Hagan and James Ransom on screen, you're like, okay, these are people who are the professionals. You can see they're the trained actors. Right. All right. I'm really glad that you saw it though. Oh, I, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen my second super, time. I I'm, it. I'm happy that you picked it. I was hoping somebody might talk about it tonight because I wasn't. I, I watched it and I just, I just couldn't hang with it. That's why I mean, I, I watched the whole thing. I just got frustrated with it because of. Sure. No. And I have no compunction about saying I really think that Kiki, Katana Kiki Rodriguez is kind of hot, and I, I. So there. Kelly Wand, what do you think of that? Because now I want to hear your second favorite transgender character in a movie. Doesn't Arnold play a transgender in Junior? Mm, is that the one where he has a baby? Yeah. No, he has a baby. Guy son. having a baby. Oh. <laughs> hey, didn't Hillary Swank and Channing Tatum both star in a movie where Hillary Swank pretends to be a boy and Channing Tatum's her brother? Channing Tatum was in Boys Don't Cry. Yeah, isn't he? Wow, I didn't know that. Or my really? Who does he play in it? Channing Tatum, the brother? <laughs> it's possible. I mean, he's been around for a while. It's, that seems about uh, concurrent with the Step Up movies. Or I don't know if I did my number two right. Is it Boys mm. Don't Cry? No. Oh. Yeah, but thanks for bringing Boys Don't Cry up for no reason. Well, no, because I was going to ask you if you guys thought that uh, Logan Lucky was a sequel to it and they're like the same characters oh the FBI I don't want to spoil anything in Logan Lucky so uh, I doubt it Kelly Wand there <laughs> anyway, moving on before we talk about my number two pick let's talk about yours Kelly uh, I'll do a quote from it uh, I'm a vampire uh, what vampire movie has a transgender uh, interview with a vampire no He's straight. By the way, real quick, Kelly Wan, being transgender uh, doesn't Does have it? any bearing on uh, sexual orientation, by the way. Necessarily. Right. Uh, just oh. so you know. uh, I don't know. What's a vampire movie with a transgender character, Kelly Wan? The one with Chloe Moretz Grace where uh, it's uh, Let the Right One In. That's not what that movie's called, by the way. You take oh. that back. Thomas Alfredson is very unhappy with you. Uh, so Let Me In has a transgender character? I don't no, know. The, the real one. The Norwegian one. Oh, let the right one in. Yeah. Isn't Ellie a transgender? Because you see uh, her parts at one point. Damn, Dingus. He's got us. That's a great one. Damn. I guess so. It's a forced transgender. Yeah, no, it's good. no, it has. It's totally one. Jeez, yeah, Kelly, one. great. 
I need to change my number one here. Good choice, Kelly. I mean, it's a way to sort of explore the the issue of of transgender identity through the supernatural, uh, uh, through vampire themes. That's great, Kelly Wand. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Shoot a monkey. Even when you were saying it, I was like, well, did she ever attack a transgender in the park or something? <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Well, Kelly Wand, why? I remember us seeing that, and as we were driving away from it. Like talking about that moment where you see, and we're talking about what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, it's the one time we saw that movie, and we're talking about well, what does that mean? So, Kelly, why is that your second favorite transgender character in a movie? Uh, well, I like it because she has that line where she goes, "Would it bother you if I wasn't a girl?" And then you can read it two ways, and right. I also like it. At that point in the movie, you you don't understand the, the full range of what that means, right? Right, and which one she's talking about. But also, like, the fact that she's transgender isn't even the most interesting thing about her. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. It's kind of just a byproduct of the situation, which yeah. is Kelly one, and I think that that's important because one of the things that I wanted to look for, and uh, this will feed into my number two pick after we get to Dingus's, uh, is can you have a transgender character in a movie where that's not the character's primary uh, right. identity? Can can that just be a facet of a character? Like, right. does a transgender character always have to be, this is what this person is, and we'll throw in a few other details. And I think yeah. let's write one in is a, a very subversive comment on the, on that mm-hmm. kind of thing, Kelly Wand. Very nice. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be. It's yeah. just in there. Is it, and I, had, I haven't seen Let Me In, so I was curious if – I'm assuming they didn't uh, use that. I seem to recall that is not even hinted at. Yeah, it's not, not even worth yeah. watching. I knew it. Yeah. What a stupid fucking movie. Hey, you, you're the guys who are the Matt Reeves apologists because he, he, made, he made some non-terrible ape movies. Ooh. <laughs> they don't have dicks, though. So that annoyed me in the ape movie. Ape so Oh, oh! In the movie, you're saying. <laughs> it's just if, like I said, if it's a bunch of apes coming at you with their dick, with ape dicks, going ah, it's different than if it, goes, they just have machine guns. There goes your PG-13 rating. APG, get it? Dingus, how can you follow up on that? Uh, well, uh, Kelly already burned it as a joke, but my number two is Boys Don't Cry. That's right. Um, uh, so um, the. Uh, uh, the dialogue I would have chosen from it is, uh, what were you like before all of this? Were you like me, like a girl girl? Uh, which I love that line. What were you like me, like a girl girl? And then uh, the character, Brendan Tina, um, who Hillary Swank plays, obviously, uh, whose original name was uh, original uh, birth name. I don't know what you call it. Uh, was uh, was Tina uh, Tina Brandon um, uh, was uh, I guess I was just like a boy girl that I was just a jerk <laughs> and I love I love that that's how he says it again I'm having trouble with pronouns um, so you know the, the the first choice of mine was this person who's basically punished for expressing uh, her gender identity. And this is somebody who's killed for expressing her gender identity or his gender identity. Again, trouble with pronouns here. And I think that one of the things that's weird for me about this topic is that 
I'm a grammar nerd in some ways, and I don't like this whole there when you can say his or her, when you should say his or her. But it seems more and more likely that as we understand gender, gender identity, that we're going to use there and grammar is going to have to go by the wayside as far as deciding, you know, whether you're going to say his or her when you're writing something. Um, so it, it was just as I was writing this up and thinking about this, I, I know this is a ridiculous sort of offshoot. It was just, there was this grammar part of my brain that was uh, sort of misaffected. Um, but uh, so this, this particular movie, um, and I, it was really hard for me to watch this movie again um, because it's a really upsetting movie for me. Uh, I really think Hilary Swank's performance is amazing in it. And just watching that character be brutalized um, again. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous because I'm stumbling over pronouns. Um was really, really difficult because this is also based upon a true story. Uh, and this is, uh, this particular transgender, uh, switch is a, a girl who identifies as a man and, uh, is the boyfriend of another girl and, and that's that's uh, Lana, played by Chloe Sevigny. Um, and I was always fascinated, or I was fascinated the first time watching this, by their early uh, make-out scenes or sex scenes and figuring out what is going on there. Um, and then the anger, of course, uh, by the men or the, the boys who were... Uh, objecting to this uh, and you know knowing that this is one of the first times I ever I think I ever saw Peter Skarsgård um, but the fact that and again I don't know what pronoun to use uh, the fact that he was killed because of how he identified as his gender he was killed for that he was killed just because of how he identified because he was taking away a girl from a guy. Um, and I just think that that is one of the m amazing performances that Hillary Swank has given. Way to bring the room down, Dingus. Sorry. Uh, you guys won't know this, so I'm going to bring it up. This is super obscure. Uh, there's a movie called Jack and Diane with Juno Temple and Riley Keough. Uh, and it occurred to me, so when you use the word transvestite, that's what you call a man who dresses in women's clothes. What do you call a woman who dresses in men's clothes? An airplane. A woman. <laughs> because women can wear men's clothes. That's not a oh. thing. But, but there, is, there is a type, like uh, in Boys Don't Cry, that is a woman wanting to identify as a man. And it's not a matter of, of just clothing. It's not cross-dressing. It's a whole thing. Uh, yeah. So Jack and Diane is a movie with Riley Keough and Juno Temple. And I don't think I had any idea. I think it, it was definitely before Fury Road. I don't think I had any idea who Riley Keough was when I saw this, but uh, Riley Keough plays uh, a Boys Don't Cry type character. She's a young lady identifying as a man, and uh, like Riley Keough, I think is amazing from, like I said, in this movie, super distracting watching her with that Chevy Nova, just because she's hot, but 
this cold sexual this she's got a cold commanding sexuality and girlfriend experience which is amazing to watch and she's really good as a male character in Jack and Diane you know this this, this young lady has amazing range as an actress uh, so Dingus you mentioning boys don't cry just made me think of Riley Keough's turn as that kind of character um, all right Fury Road Riley Keough yeah. Oh, want. How dare you? How uh, dare you? Abby uh, Lee is even in it. Zoe Kravitz, Riley Keough. Oh, shoot. Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. Is that the other one's name? <laughs> okay, that's yeah, the fourth one I couldn't think one. of. Very good. All right, between the two of us, Kelly Wan, we've named all of them. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Riley Keough doing a cute little Australian accent. She's the one that uh, Nicholas Holt, uh, she kind of cuddles up with him for the car chase. <laughs> I just assumed they were all Australian. I know, right? Yeah. All right. My second favorite... Wait, is it my turn? Whose turn is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. My second favorite is is not nearly as good as what Kelly Wan was talking about, but this Ugh. is a movie where I think the fact that... So there, there's a, a fellow named Jay Davidson who famously played a woman in The Crying Game. Uh, at, well, a, 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 I guess just a transvestite. I don't think... There, uh, I, I don't think the character's name was Dill. I don't think Dill was like taking hormones. She certainly hadn't had any surgery, as is very clear in a certain scene in the movie. Uh, but she uh, is in the Crying Game is a crime thriller in which one of the characters happens to be a transvestite. That is just one facet of why characters can't connect to each other. There's also the issue of being white and black, the issue of being Irish and British, uh, and the issue of hidden identities and pasts. Uh, It's a crime thriller in which characters can't connect. And the part that everybody remembers, because it's a notable plot point, it's a notable beat in the story, is when Stephen Ray finds out that Jay Davidson's character is not a woman, is a man. And Dill all along has thought that he knew. It's a surprise to both of them. Dill thinks, I thought you knew. And he's like, I had no idea. And I'd forgotten, too, Jim Broadbent is in the movie uh, as a bartender who uh, kind of is a go-between. He are, he's an arbiter in their early courtship in the bar. Because the movie is about Stephen Ray. He's a member of the IRA. They've kidnapped and killed a British soldier. And the operation then goes to hell, and he has to flee. But the last thing that he does is the British soldier, who he feels bad for killing, says, please tell my girlfriend, here's where you can find her, tell her that I was thinking of her when I died. So Stephen Ray tracks this girl down, having no idea that she's a a transgender fella, uh, dressed as a woman. Um, And he falls in love with her. And it's a perfectly cromulent relationship. They've got great chemistry. She's very attractive. Uh, They work well together. They're flirting as navigated by Jim Broadbent as the bartender. It's super adorable. But then when they're making out and Jay Davidson is naked and he sees that she's got a penis, well, suddenly they can't be together. And this is just one of the facets that the movie's exploring about why people can't connect. And it's a very prominent one, of course. Uh, But I love how from this point on, the movie... Uh, what Dill goes through with having to change her identity to hide from the IRA people who are hunting Stephen Ray down, uh, how she gets her comeuppance by gunning down Miranda Richardson in the end. Uh, I, uh, I just I, I love how it explores her character and her feelings and what she's going through. And it's not just saying, hey, here's a transvestite. 
we're just going to throw her in the movie and see what happens. Uh, it, it really does explore her as a character and her feelings and her motivations, and it gives her her own follow-through in the movie. Uh, and their relationship, even after he finds out that, that she's a man, uh, their relationship is still kind of adorable. Uh, I love watching them in that. So there's my number two, uh, The Crying Game, Jay Davidson. But isn't I don't. I haven't seen this in so long, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it was ruined for me. By this is one of those movies that was spoiled for me. By the way, it doesn't spoil it. But I mean, there's still so much to see in this movie. This movie isn't a gimmick movie, which is I guess that's sort of what I'm getting at. Is it's not a gimmick movie. It, it explores Dill's character beyond. Hey, she's got a dick. Uh, so I'm sorry, I cut you off. Though, what were you gonna say? What I mean by spoiled was not that somebody gave away the ending. Was that it was set up as a twist movie. Right. And from the moment I was watching it, I was like, uh, what? Why? I, I kind of knew that's where the movie was going. And I wish the movie hadn't been marketed that way. I understand the I understand the um, challenges that marketing people have. But I, I kind of wish I hadn't seen the movie with understanding because I remember watching this movie in a theater with this marketing like there's this huge twist wait till you see the twist and sitting in the movie and going along with the movie and going along with it and and feeling like this character drama was developing and really developing in a beautiful way uh and then feeling like oh okay i i don't know it just felt like it was ruined for me by the marketing which is a weird thing to say but but isn't there sort of a I don't know if you mentioned it when you were talking. Did you talk about Forrest Whitaker? Well, he he goes by the wayside. He gets killed. But yeah, Forrest Whitaker yeah. is is uh, her boyfriend. Yeah, but he's it's kind of a little bit of a because uh, of that whole cricket thing that's going on. If, if I remember, um, there's sort of a pre revenge thing that he's trying to do. I don't think so. I mean, I, I you know, like, so, like he's trying to punk a long time for me. He's so. trying to punk Stephen Ray. I don't think so because they do develop a relationship. Uh, Forrest Whitaker, even there's a really tender moment when Forrest Whitaker knows he's being walked out in the woods to be shot in the back of the head, and he says to Stephen Ray, "I'm glad you're doing it because we're friends, right?" Like he he really is reaching. Like he knows these are his last moments, and he's wanting some kind of human contact. Uh, no, I don't think there's any sense that he's going to punk. Stephen Ray. He he doesn't have any idea that Stephen Ray is going to fall in love with his girlfriend. Like I don't think that that was ever part of the plan. He genuinely wanted Dill to know that he was thinking of her when he died. I th- I believe. Uh, but isn't he, there like a mental image of him like throwing like doing? Oh no no Stephen yeah Stephen Ray is definitely there. Are these weird Neil Jordan and his weird dreaminess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are these scenes where uh, Stephen Ray is definitely envisioning Forrest Whitaker in a cricket outfit, because they talk about sports, in a cricket right. outfit throwing a ball or, or whatever. Oh, like, he's yeah. definitely remembering Forrest Whitaker in a way that he didn't see him when, when he was bloodied and, and beaten. And then he runs his... at away. I love that run moment. Yeah. He's, he runs because he could get away, but I think he realized, like, he kind of, like he's getting away, and you're like, yeah, he's going to escape, but he runs out of breath, and he turns around, and he yeah. looks at him like they're playing. Like, he knows oh. this guy's going to kill him, and he turns around, and he says, you're going to, you know, I, I could have gotten away, right? And, and he's, like, smiling, and they're out of breath, and, and he says, you know, please don't do this. And do you guys remember, uh, Stephen Ray doesn't shoot him, because I didn't remember that part. Do you remember yeah. what happens? 
No, no, I don't at all. What I'm just, I'm just remembering this moment, this 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 memory moment of a <laughs> Forrest Whitaker throwing the cricket ball, whatever you would say, cricket, and and thinking of that as Stephen Ray going, "Oh, you got me." No, I mean, so I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, oh, this is a different dimension of this character. I didn't know. Like, it's yeah. it's painting this this guy. He thought he not thought he knew. It, it's presenting this new side to this character that he that he killed that he that oh. he grew to care about uh, that he didn't want to kill. So what happens is, uh, Forrest Whitaker turns around and it's like they're playing and he's out of breath and he's like, "Don't you're not you can't kill me. You got to let me go, right?" And he, they have this kind of understanding, and they have a look, and Forrest Whitaker starts running away, and he turns his back, and Stephen Ray is shouting, no, you know, don't do that. But you know at this point, Stephen Ray is not going to shoot him. He simply doesn't have it in him. He is going to break – he is breaking with the IRA at this point. Mm-hmm. He is not doing his job. So Forrest Whitaker turns and runs away, runs out into the road, and gets yeah. hit by the British troop carriers that are arriving to gun down to, to rescue him. It, 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 it is brutal, too. Like, Neil Jordan shows him gets hit, and then it shows the other car. Dingus, you mentioned this before, how gruesome it is seeing a body get run over by a tire. It shows the other carrier, like, bumping up over his bloody corpse. It's super gruesome. But, yeah, Stephen Ray doesn't shoot him and probably wasn't going to. Which I'd oh, forgotten. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. So, crime game, a really good crime thriller, and Jay Davidson. It's not about a transvestite. It's a crime thriller in which one of the characters is a transvestite. I would say. I just, I, Although, I totally had remembered that as Forrest Whitaker setting this whole thing up to, uh, to fuck with him, to screw him over. I mean, you might be right, but I didn't get that sense. I got the sense that, you know, they had a loving relationship, and uh, uh, Dylan Forrest Whitaker's character, and the Forrest Whitaker becomes friends with Fergus. Uh, I, I don't think it's like that. You know, maybe it is. Right. Maybe I well, you've seen it more recently. I haven't. I honestly have not seen it since I saw it, saw it in the theater. With that image of uh, Forrest Whitaker, like throwing the ball, like doing the pitch. Right. Um, That's his little sequence, and he might even. He might. It's so like like, it's like, like just a black background. Is that is that what happens? He might. This does seem like something Neil Jordan would do. He might uh, have that in his head as Dill is uh, is filleting him. I believe. Uh, right. Okay. So he might have this guilt about the fact that he is with this guy's girlfriend, and he meant to just show up and say, "Hey." When Jody died, he was thinking of you. Uh, okay. so, so I don't know if it's guilt, but you, I don't know. You could be right. That wasn't the sense I got. Uh, I got that he's seen this character in a new light, uh, that he feels guilt, uh, and that later you know, he finds out that Forrest Whitaker was in love with a, 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 a transgender character, uh, another man. Um, so, I'm super happy you brought this up because I haven't seen it in so many years. I, I just remember Forrest Whitaker laughing at that moment in this black background and not really understanding, trying to sort of suss this out. So I love your breakdown of this. I'm so happy you did this. Do you guys remember how hot Miranda Richardson is as a total <sighs> ruthless IRA assassin? Vaguely. She's, yeah. she's like Helen Mirren hot, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly, Dingus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, you know what? You're right. It's totally a Helen Mirren thing. Yeah. All right, so Kelly Wand, what is the best transgender character in all of movies, according to you? Uh, okay, well, 
So, <clears throat> so there's a parody of Crying Game and Ace Ventura Pet Detective where Sean Young turns oh. out to be a dude. <laughs> All right, go on. And he's he's like trying to prove it, and he in front of a crowd of people, and he's like, "Look, because she's a guy," and he like tears her shirt off, and then she uh, has normal knobs, and then uh, he finally goes, "Wait, no, see, she's got this," and then so he, he shows her uh, her sausage at the end. Her Sean Sean Young is a dude. I did not know that. Yeah, and then Jim Carrey takes the shower. And hunched over naked while the crying game theme plays, and he's sobbing. Are these true things you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I frankly am not sure I've ever seen an Ace Ventura pet detective movie. I don't really like the first one. I like the second one more. But this struck me because this kind of ties in with what my action number one is. You'll see why I mentioned it. Oh, this isn't. Oh, huh. okay, Very great. clever, Kelly Wand. All right, go on. <laughs> well, just I like movies that you never that they'll never make again. Like it's a relic of its time. Right. Like this that. joke will never fit anywhere ever again. Yeah. And so after Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, Sean Young made another movie called Doctor Jekyll and Ms Hyde, where um, it's a dude who works at a chemical firm or something, and he drinks a chemical that turns him into Sean Young. But she's also psychotic, so it kind of played on Sean Young's psychoticness. So she's like, he's like constantly turning into her at the wrong moments. And stuff. Kelly, I have a question for you. Uh huh. How come I've never heard of this movie? This sounds right up my alley. You haven't seen Doctor Jekyll and Ms Hyde? I have not. I like the idea that it's playing with uh, with the genders instead of uh, just regular. Hey, super smart guy becomes super crazy guy. Yeah, well, it's super R-rated, and it's also, it's not just that he turns into a woman, but she's super evil, too. So it's like, you could argue maybe that it's sexist, but it's also, it, like, she puts acid on Jeremy Piven's face. <laughs> I really want to see this now. And, like, electrocutes him with a car and stuff. Like, she's murderous. But somehow she doesn't get arrested. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess women don't get arrested in the movie or something. Uh, but then, yeah, so then at the end, uh, he finally gets rid of her, so it all works out. But all I right. like that. It sounds like a part that Sean Young was born to play. Yeah, because she's nuts. There's a part where she's giving foot jobs to two different men at a conference table on both sides of her. And you mean like she's rubbing their feet, like a foot yeah. massage? No, she's rubbing her feet in their nut. In their, Kelly Wan, um, don't, I would, no, no, okay. Wait, what did you say? Wow. What was your guess? I would, I would have said, so she's giving them a foot massage. Oh, that's not what. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, technically, <laughs> I mean it's like a foot. A dick's like a foot without a toenail. <laughs> All right, Doctor Jekyll and Miss Hyde. Do you know who directed this by any chance? No, I think it's an Alan Smithy. It was a troubled production. Helen and the, plays Sean Young when she's the dude. Some guy, I can't okay. remember. But also, the girlfriend in it is that chick uh, Lizette Anthony, who was in Crawl and Young Sherlock Holmes. And she's like the normal girl. Okay. Kelly, I want to have a question for you. Uh huh. Do you like our owl? Ah. Let's see. That's my Sean Young. I don't know if you could tell. Is that from Funny Farm? <laughs> I don't even know what Funny Farm is. I my Sean Young. My Sean Young consists of Blade Runner and Dune. Oh, Stripes! Isn't she in Stripes? Yeah. In no Way Out. Come on. Oh uh, yeah. And whatever. That's more your bag, Dingus. Oh, uh, No Way, way Out. So good. 
my my bag dingus. Dingus There's speaking. Also Catwoman on a street. Which Catwoman in? Oh, oh, I see. Right, she wanted to be Catwoman, didn't get right. She famously yes. dressed as Catwoman and go and bugged Kim Burton or whoever. Right, right. right, right, right. Poor Sean Young. What? All right. Dingus, I would like to know who is the best transgender character in all of movies of all oh, time. <laughs> I thought I just told you that, but if you want to hear from Dingus... Well, Dingus is going to say the same thing, don't you think, Kelly Wand? He's just going to agree guess. with you. Right. Yeah, of course. Right, I'm going to first bring up one movie and talk, talk about off. it at length, and then I'm going to say that's not my pick, and then talk about another movie. To be fair, though, Kelly Wand, he, uh, Dingus, he, he was laying ground for setting up why this was his favorite uh, transgender Sean, character. It's the Sean yeah. Young thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was there was a whole it was an it was a character arc through multiple movies like Godfather One and Godfather Two. Yeah, and Ocean's Eleven to Logan Lucky. All right, Dingus, you better say what you think. What I think you're going to say? Well, of course, I, I'm going to say Hedwig. Okay, because I didn't pick it simply because I knew I was hoping you would. All right, good. I'm off the hook. Right. So uh, this is this is an example of um, I don't know how you would put this, but uh, transgender forced upon you. <laughs> but more like the uh, the actual surgery forced upon you, not just uh, not the identity forced upon you. Um, and then uh, uh, I I think it's an example, a weird example, because of the way that it's portrayed in the movie. Of uh, and I and one of the reasons I chose this is not just because I'm totally fond of this movie. I love this movie so freaking much. Explained why a couple of weeks ago we did the wig thing. Um, but I think it really relates well to your uh, the way you presented the topic, Tom, which you talk, which you were talking about the transgender ban. Uh, because what happens to Hedwig is that an American soldier stationed in Berlin um, falls in love with Hedwig and insists well, if we're going to get you into America, you have to be able to present as a woman, so I'm going to take you to this cheap surgeon, and we're going to make you into a woman. And then I'm going to take you over and marry you, and and I'm going to take you, and that way you'll be able to get through uh, customs, and you'll be able to be my wife. Um, and then once the surgery gets botched, uh, this soldier is, just goes to find somebody prettier and goes with that person. Uh, and it seems very much sort of this sort of weird political statement about, uh, all right, well, we're just going to ditch this one thing that we don't like. We're going to try to change it. Uh, it doesn't work. We're going to ditch it. And we're going to move on to something else. It seems this weird uh, American political thing. Um, but that's just based on what, you were talking about in presenting your topic. Uh, Character-wise, uh, it's more important to me because of the. There's two transgender characters in this movie that are really important. Um, there's there's Hedwig and Yitzhak, uh, and you know Yitzhak is played by a, a woman named Miriam Shore, and Hedwig is played by a man named John Cameron Mitchell. Uh, and I'm just using those terms. Woman and man, they're cisgender terms. Um, uh, I don't know uh, how Miriam Shore 
identifies now. I don't know how John Cameron Mitchell identifies now, but uh, but that that is a very important part of this movie is how those how those genders relate to each other, how they sync up and how they don't sync up, and how they are trying to work their way into uh, not just American culture, but also the the understanding of celebrity culture, uh, being successful and trying to find a way to be uh, accepted and find a way to be a family. Um, and so how this character in particular, Hedwig, uh, is finally handing over his wig to Yitzhak, uh, in the end, kind of giving up part of his identity. Um, and then where does he go from here uh, is one of the things that is so heartbreaking about this movie for me, because um, transgender is also, it, it can be fluid for some people. Um, it can also be a constant quest to figure out who you are intrinsically and who you're going to be. Uh, it's not, you know, the word preference uh, is a dangerous word sometimes because we talk about like sexual preference, like I, I like as if I were have, if I could prefer to be attracted to men, I would just prefer to do that. Um, that's not a preference. Uh, I can't prefer to uh, be interested in somebody I'm not or a gender I'm not interested in. That said, I'm, you know, I might have a crush on a, on a dude in a movie. That doesn't mean I'm going to want to sleep with him. That's not the same thing. So understanding gender, gender preference, and, and this is why this, this topic is so fascinating for me, Tom, uh, is it was hard for me to wrestle with. And this is why Hedwig was such an important movie for me to include in this, um, because he was forced into a different identity in a way. So we were going to have serious words if you didn't pick this because I, I fully counted on being able to to just hitch a ride on your choice here. Uh, what, what I love about what John Cameron Mitchell has done with Hedwig and the Angry Hench, and it was a musical first. It was very, very successful. Uh, he was given free license to do what he wanted with it as a movie. It was a little indie movie, and he just showed some really good directing and acting chops. I mean, he knew the material at this point, and he captured it wonderfully in the movie. And what Hedwig and the Angry Hench does, and it's what you've mentioned here, Dingus, is it... It captures it, – so as a musical, it's just the psychology of Hedvig, this character who is was born a man but, but feels pulled towards being a woman, is having this gender identity uh, issue. And what Hedvig and the Angry Inch does as a musical, as a look inside this character's mind, it creates this it, – it, it, it expresses the frustration that he must feel. You know, why did – why is there this complex situation between men and women, between genders? And why, goddammit, do I have to deal with being conflicted about this? Why can't I just fit in neatly where everyone else does? And that's got to be, like, that's got to, if I was gay, I would be super pissed about that sometimes, that my life wasn't as easy as somebody who wasn't gay. If I was a transvestite, if I felt like I really had the mind of a woman in a man's body, that would piss me off. I would think that that's really unfair. Um, so Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and it's in the title there, is a lot about that frustration 
Uh, and it's not all la-di-da, campy, happy stuff, which you might think looking at the outrageous costumes and stuff in, in stills from the movie, it really is this just anger and frustration and the psychology of that. And I love how John Cameron Mitchell has captured that uh, in these movies. Um, Dingus, I don't know if you know this. He uh, So after Hedwig and the Angry Ranch, John Cameron Mitchell did a movie called Short Bus – which is not really for anyone. He then did a movie with Nicole Kidman called Rabbit Hole, which is terrible. Uh, and that was kind of it for him as a director. He has a movie out now, which is some weird science fiction thing with Nicole Kidman and Elle Fanning. And oh. if you look at the pictures of it, Nicole Kidman's in like a crazy fright wig. So I don't know if there's some like transsexual stuff going on in this movie, but it looks it. So Short Bus and Rabbit Hole were nothing about were nothing like Hedwig and the Angry Inch. But this other movie he's doing, uh, How to Talk to Girls at Parties, is the name of it. Definitely looks like a return to Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, there's no distribution for it in the U.S. yet, but I hope it gets here because I would love to see uh, what he's doing now. Kelly Wand, I'm going to ask Boy, you something. Short Butts really didn't land with me at all, and I was so excited to see it because I loved Hedwig so much. I mean, Hedwig is really near and dear to my heart, and Short Butts, boy, I just got totally annoyed. And I have a friend who who worked on Hedwig, uh, the stage show. Um, and gave me a lot of insight into the movie and a lot of the things that you just said, Tom. And when I expressed sort of a negative opinion about Short Bus, he just pretty much said, well, you just didn't get it. <laughs> I, w- I would fully concur with that. <laughs> That's my opinion of Short Bus as well. <laughs> no, I just didn't get it. Kelly Wand, have you ever seen a movie? You know what? I'm not even going to tell you about Short Bus. Nope. Kelly Wand, I will instead ask you a question that I've asked you multiple <laughs> times. Have you seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch yet? No, I don't. See, I only see movies about the metric system. <laughs> you don't do Imperial. Yeah, <laughs> it's just too backwards. <laughs> All right. Uh, can I just say one more yeah, thing? Yeah, sure. Because yeah, uh, yeah. I really love the way you put that, Tom. Because uh, I had this confusing. I seen it. No, when he was talking <laughs> he about pretty cool. When he was talking about the the problem of you know why can't I just fit in? Because the, there's the origin of love. That whole origin of love animation and that whole song really makes sense based on what Tom is saying. Um, and I had this this friend of mine um, probably 15 years ago who's, who is a gay man and uh, is married now and has, has an adopted daughter. Um, and this is before he adopted his daughter and before he could even legally be married. Uh, but he still had his partner. And he was talking about his younger brother and um uh we were all we just had to get together and he said something that seemed weird to me he said boy i hope he's not gay and i just was like why would you about say that who? about his younger brother uh, like, boy, i hope he's not gay i said why would you say that what difference does that make you know right. trying to you know part of me was probably trying to be politically correct but also, I have friend, I have a lot of friends who are gay, and he said because I don't want to wish this difficulty on anybody. And what Tom just said, expressing some of the themes in Hedwig, really brought that back to mind. All right, Kelly, want to put that on your list somewhere around uh, Shimmer? Oh, you've seen Shimmer Lake? Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Is it for me? Is Hedwig and the Angry Inch for me? Yeah, yeah, you would definitely appreciate it. I mean, it's really hard for me to go into a musical. It's musical. Uh, I hate musicals unless they're called La La Land, and I really like Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, so I don't know if being told something's a musical puts you off, but it shouldn't in this case. Uh, yeah, I think you'll get it, Kelly. Yeah. I think I feel bad. Like, I know what Dingus is saying. That, always, that makes me feel bad for... Uh, transgender people, but then I also think that I think they have better sex. So in a way, we should end them. <laughs> All right, my favorite transgender character is in a movie that I don't like. Ah, what? And I gave it another chance. I just this movie. I do not like this movie. It is super flamboyant. It is super like over the top, fabulous. Uh, it just revels in this outrageously campy drag queen scene with these insane outfits and, and crazy heavy makeup. What was that? Platoon? <laughs> yes, Kelly wanted it's platoon. Oh, they're just wearing war paint because it's Vietnam, though. It's not right. No, this is a movie called Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Or actually, oh, technically, yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize this. It's called The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, if you're looking for it. you got to look under yeah. Adventures of. Uh, I've never seen it, this movie. Are you serious? Yeah, I've never seen this movie. Okay, well, it may not. Well, okay, here's this, the reason this is the This is Guy Pierce. So, okay. Uh, Kelly Wan, you're thinking of two Wong Fu. Two thanks Wong for Fu. all the oh, dolphins, yeah, 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 yeah. or whatever. Yeah, right. It's a desert. Uh, no, no, Priscilla Queen of the Desert is a super heavy-handed movie about drag queens. There's three of them driving into the interior of the Australian outback for a for a gig, a, a lip syncing, a singing gig, a performance gig. Um, yeah. Walk about. It's really heavy-handed, but it does have, and I appreciate this, there's a message in it eventually, and this is what the director is eventually getting to, about how everyone, not everyone is hostile to alternative lifestyles. Uh, you know, there are these great parts in the movie where they run into super rough outback uh, rubes in Australia who don't mind that they're cross-dressers. And there's, those are cool seeing those. And especially the point of the movie uh, is that children don't have any built-in sense that men expressing themselves as women is cause for shame or scorn. And it's a really lovely moment. And you have to get through a lot of camp to get to that. But it's the, it's the point of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Here's the problem, though. Hugo Weaving is in it. He's fine. As the, he's, he's the conflicted uh, yeah. transvestite. Uh, he's sort of the, the main character. Just uh, like in Lord of the Rings. But Guy Pierce is so incredibly, just histrionically, obnoxiously campy. Now, in a way, it's not... It, it, it's hard to not admire his commitment, but oh my god, it is so much. It is just... It is so shrill and grating, and that's okay because he's a clown. Like he's supposed to be the comedic character. Um, but so you've got Guy Pierce, you've got Hugo Weaving. The real standout in this movie, and it's almost like he's in a separate movie, uh, with all of this loud color and these insane nonsensical outfits. The real standout, and the movie knows this, by the way, is Terrence Stamp as an older transsexual. Uh, not a transvestite. He takes hormone pills. Um, it, it, so Terrence Stamp, we know him. He's a super badass. He's, in, he's the limey. He'll walk yeah. into a warehouse and shoot you, and the movie doesn't have to show it. You know how badass he is. Um, but he plays this character. Her name is, uh, is uh, Bernice. Uh, with unflappable, and this is the most important word, and it's why this is my favorite 
transgender character in a movie. He plays Bernice with unflappable dignity. And he does it with just as much commitment as Guy Pierce has, but he's completely grounded. Uh, the, the character is a widower. Uh, she, she's accustomed to the derision. She's wise. She's tough. But she's weary. She's tired. She's older. Um, and in the movie, she has this. She develops a relationship. It's not sexual, but it's a. It's a. You might say it is romantic, but not sexual in a way. Like they definitely have affection for each other, and it's it's fascination too. Uh, with a, a Australian character actor named Bill Hunter, who, if you were to see him, you would go, "Oh yeah, I know who that guy is." Uh, and they have this kind of romance in a, in a way. They, they understand each other, uh, and that they're kind of both at the points in their lives where that's all they're looking for. They have both lost recently their sexual relationships. They've either disappointed them or their partners have left them. Uh, Terrence Stamp plays a widower. But at this point in the movie, they have each other, Bill Hunter and Terrence Stamp's character. Uh, and there's not even – there's no intimation that Bill Hunter is even gay. Terrence Stamp's character is obviously gay. Uh, but Bill Hunter, he's married to this super annoying war bride who leaves him. Uh, but the way he and Terrence Stamp find each other, the way they interact, and especially the way that Terrence Stamp just – just refuses. There's not a single moment in this movie where he does not play Bernice with 120% dignity. Uh, so it's an Australians are wacky comedy. You got plenty of those. Uh, Guy Pearce super annoying. Hugo Weaving is fine, uh, but Terrence Stamp's just uncompromising dignity in this movie is, is is fascinating. And I just deeply appreciate that this is a character that we were given in uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. How do you, uh, I, I really like that description, Tom. Um, how do we know that Terrence Stamp is definitely gay? Is the, oh, is uh, the, yeah. Is? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so when we first meet them, so there's the, the, the first few scenes are getting the band back together where they're assembling and they're going to go on this gig in, in Central Australia. Uh, uh, they are uh, Terrence Stamp's partner, Trumpet. Like at first, when you when you find out Trumpet died, like Trump, uh, Terrence Stamp calls Hugo Weaving, and uh, oh no, Hugo Weaving calls Terrence Stamp, say, hey, come do the show, and Terrence Stamp says, I don't really feel like it. Trumpet just died, and you're thinking, oh, is it his yeah. dog died or something? What is it? His cat? What what happened? But then we cut to the funeral, and Trumpet is a young man who he has been living with, and later there's a great scene where he talks to Bill Hunter. About how you know Bill Hunter uh, is it Bill Hunter? At any rate, someone asks him, "Do you miss Trumpet?" Uh, and and Terrence Stamp explains, he was just a young man who was fascinated with the idea that his girlfriend was a boy. Like he unpacks this idea about him being a man, and even even possibly a straight man. Like that's the idea in a, in a weird way that a lot of I imagine transgender characters have to deal with is. Are the people attracted to them gay, or are the people attracted to them straight, struggling mm -hmm. with gay feelings, or are they just straight guys like me attracted to Katana Kiki Rodriguez? She's super hot. I'm super straight, but I think she's really hot. Um, so, so Terrence Stamp has this great little monologue where he describes Trumpet and what their relationship was. And Trumpet was, was obviously a man. He was in love with her. So, yeah, I'm presuming from that that uh, his character was gay. Well, that makes sense, yeah. The reason I'm asking that is that whenever we're talking about this, and I know this has nothing to do with movies, but I'm thinking of one of my favorite comedians, Eddie Izzard, talking yeah. about being a, a transvestite, and, and but he's attracted to women, and he, he sort of uh, describes himself as sort of a male lesbian. That that too, in, in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, like I, 
So we find out that Hugo Weaving's character is married to a woman and has a son. Like that, that's kind of the weird thing is you, yeah. you go through the movie thinking, okay, these characters are all gay, but Hugo Weaving, it's not quite that easy for him. Uh, he presumably is gay, but at some point he was married to this woman and they had a child. And they still – I also love – too. they still have a great relationship. They're very, it's not like she's mad at him or anything. She still loves him, and they're very friendly with each other. And it's a very loving relationship. And, and the bit about you know children not having built-in scorn for him, like that's his relationship with his son. Um, so. Oh, okay. So uh, forgive me for asking more because I haven't seen this movie. Huh? Is it the writing or is it the way he plays it? Uh, Ter- Terrence Stamp, you mean? No, no. Uh, uh, Guy Pierce, like uh, you know, oh, oh no, no, it's, it's the writing. It's the writing, definitely. Okay. He's right. clear, like I said, he's the clown of the piece. It is really funny watching Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and uh, thinking, uh, you know, this guy's going to be in the Rover <laughs> in about twenty thirty yeah. years. Uh, yeah, okay. it is. I mean, it, I, I will say Hugo Weaving does not make a very pretty woman. Guy Pierce. <laughs> He makes a pretty woman, I will say. Guy Pierce is a transvestite. That kind of works in a weird way that Hugo Weaving doesn't quite work. He's a, he makes a hell of an elf, but a, a woman. And so there's a point in the movie when they're traveling, and I, this word has not come up in the podcast tonight, but it's a term I remember from being younger. When they're traveling, they identify themselves as female impersonators. Oh, yeah. Huh. Like right. that's they're, they're, that's their job, and they're putting on a show. Because I do remember, like that's I, that used to be a thing. I don't think every, anybody uses that word anymore because people identify that as a lifestyle now, and not something you get up and do a show on. You know, it's not like assuming a character in a, in a stage play and then you you walk away. Like I think a lot of female impersonators, if not all of them. That's their lifestyle. They're transvestites. Yeah. There are points in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, where people are like, why are you guys dressed up like that? And they have to say, we're female impersonators, uh, which is really cool. Right. That was always a weird word to me. Even when I was a kid, I'm like, wait, so they're pretending to be, and we're not supposed to know, and then they're like magicians, and we're supposed to go, oh, you're impersonating. Uh, yeah. like I always was very puzzled by that. Like, when, I, I when I was in college, I was uh, in a production of Three Penny Opera, uh, I think that was the show, and I had to uh, I had to be part of that. Is that uh, the character I played was a woman, uh, so I had to dress up as a woman. I was one of the three women in that show um, in Three Penny Opera, and I remember uh, one of the some dude coming up to me afterward and going, "Yeah, uh, that was You're a little natural. weird for me. <laughs> it, it was just it was obvious for him that." He was accidentally attracted to me. <laughs> the way that he, he talked about it was similar to the way that Tom talked about the way that three pennies. One for of you, them works Tom. and one of them doesn't. Yeah, but yeah. it was it was weird having this this guy who was kind of a kind of a, a macho dude in the theater department going, yeah, okay, uh, and walking away from me. It was weird. Stephen Ray? <laughs> was he an IRA terrorist? Yeah. Doesn't uh, he say in Crying Game, he goes, I kind of liked you as a girl. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. Is he, he, that's what he says a lot when, when Dill is flirting with him. He's, you know, I liked you as a girl. I wished you hadn't become a boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when, I was, when I moved back to Arkansas from doing theater in Boston and stuff, so I, I did some weird, crazy, I did whatever I could in Arkansas, and there was this weird community theater group that put on a show in the back of a bar. It was, it was hard. Like it, I, I don't know what they were thinking. Of a, <laughs> a stage production of an episode of Charlie's Angels. 
Uh, wow. I'm listening. And I, I, so I was Tom Bosley, and we, oh. it, it was the it was the episode where they go they go undercover in prison. Uh, so they're undercover in prison, and Bosley's only in the first. You know, Bosley's just in the beginning and the end. So uh, we also had an understudy structure where one at one point one of the girls, if somebody couldn't be there for a show, and this was such a low stakes thing, it was basically for people who were drunk and wandered into the back room. Be like, hey, we're going to do Charlie's Angels now. So there was a night where one of the girls couldn't be there, and I played. I don't remember which one. But I played a Charlie's Angel. Wait, which one? I don't remember. I wish I could remember that. I don't know. Oh, You'd be a good Kate Jackson. Cause Thank you, Kelly Wand. Which yeah. one would Dingus be? We know the answer to this. Farrah. Yeah. And what does that make you, Kelly Wand? Fucking Jacqueline Smith, my favorite. <laughs> oh, wait. Kelly Wand, I'm attracted oh, to you. Kelly got to choose that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, her name is Kelly. Kelly. So I'm going to have a poster of myself over my bed as a child. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Yeah. Arthur Gilvalangelelli says, number three, Kelly, Kelly Wand, here you go. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Boom. Sean Young plays Lois Einhorn. Uh-huh. Oh, my God, seriously, Einhorn. A female police detective who used to be known as Ray Finkel, a male kicker for the Miami Dolphins. I saw this movie when I was way too young to understand things like gender ident- identification, but I still remember the scene in which Einhorn's past identity is revealed. Yeah. Number and the football player uh, spits with disgust. Like, like there's an actual football player in it. He's like, ugh. Kelly Wan, do you know what Einhorn is German for? Uh, no. Why don't you come a few bars? <laughs> Arthur Gilvalangelelli, and I can't believe I didn't think of this one, because Dingus hates this movie. I like this one movie. Horn? Uh, Kelly Wan, go look it up in your German dictionary. I'm sure you've got one. All right. Dallas Buyers Club. Jared Leto. What? Oh, oh yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. We, any of us think of that. I know. Play, well, I, I mean, I like he's good at it, but I don't know that it. I don't know. Uh, Jared Leto plays Rayon, a man who identifies as a woman and has AIDS. Leto's performance is fairly divisive, but it works for me, especially the scene where Rayon is putting on men's clothing to talk to her father. It's so clear how uncomfortable she is in these clothes, and Leto plays this struggle very well. All right, that's a good pick. Yeah. I didn't I didn't like the movie and I didn't like the acting in it, but no, really? I appreciate the pick. Yeah, we talked about this. I thought it was oh, yeah. a way overacted. But I liked the pick. Jared Leto's I can't believe, Joker. I can't believe we didn't even think about it. I, I just now see Jared Leto and I think of the Joker. And it just yeah. ruins it for me. Who's also kind of trans. Number one. Oh. Uh thing is you're gonna have to be the, the uh source material authority on this one for me. I'm not sure about this. Silence of the Lambs? Arthur says, I'm pretty sure Ted Levine's Jame Gum qualifies for the topic. He identifies as a woman to such a degree that she's building a woman's suit out of real women. I guess, is that Um, what's going on with Jame Gum? Well, put the lotion in the basket. (laughs) That was your Alicia Vikander, Kelly Wand. Oh, yeah. Put the baby in the basket. Thomas Harris messing around with it and not really understanding it. This is earlier on. And I mean, there there is a little bit of lip service paid to it, yeah. where where uh, Clarice Starling says, um, which I think is terrible. Uh, they're very passive. Uh, they're you know, so that they're not going to be that violent. Um, but I think this is more about pathology. Uh, and this this did kind of occur to me because he's trying to he's trying to make himself into a woman by putting on a suit. That is a woman 
right. to make himself into a woman. I mean, that is legit- legitimately, like, this is a literal definition, trans- transitioning from a male to a female. Right, but it's just pathological. Right. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you can't choose it. I'm just saying that I, I shied away from it. And I believe, according to audiences in Western Vir- Virginia, it is stranger than fiction. And it's that kind was of liquid regular Virginia. Virginia. Oh, regular Virginia. I screwed him up. All right. The slave one, as Kelly Wand put it earlier. Uh-huh. Slave Not the slave one. Good Lord. Keith Leith, Keith Leith says. I call, I call Virginia clean Virginia, and West Virginia is cold Virginia. <laughs> uh, I don't understand this lead-in to Keith Leith's choices. He says a somewhat generous 33% survival rate with this selection. Huh. Oh, oh, I do see. Oh, no, I do see what you're getting at, Keith Leith. All right. Arguably a spoiler, but let's move on. Number three. Train spotting. Begbie pulls, but a manual inspection of the ride disappoints. Keith Leith. He informs Renton that he is not homosexual, and there need be no further discussion of the matter with the words. Okay, Keith Leith wants me to do the accent. Luke, I'm no fucking boofty, and that's the idiot. Now, wow, you accent. actually read this. That's amazing. Well, Keith Leith spelled it out phonetically for me, so I'll right. credit goes to him. I have no him. idea what this has to do with transgender, though. Well, it's Begbie running into a, a transsexual. All right. Oh. It, it, yeah, that's the Begbie pulls, but a manual inspection of the ride disappoints. Oh, I see. Okay. See? It's Keith Leith. Keith Leith is a, you know, he's a wordsmith. Yeah. Number two. I like this one, Keith Leith, because of the controversy with it. I appreciate that controversy. I was always on his side. Number two, dress to kill. De Palma correctly uh-huh. identifies that when gender dysphoric individual <laughs> Keith Leith, I take back everything I just led in with. Yeah. <laughs> De Palma you correct- voting for Trump now? De Palma, I'm having Keith Leith grit. De Palma correctly identifies that when gender dysphoric individuals become aroused, it's time to slice and dice the object of desire. Yeah. It's either that or skin their fattened hides to make evening wear. Right. Uh, De Palma tacks on a redundant 10-minute dream sequence at the end of the movie. He's either cleverly alluding to the superfluous extra flesh of these murderous oddities, or he was paid by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> that Very dream nice. sequence is scary, though. Uh, yeah. Scary shoes. What's the one that, uh, the Sisters is the one that I think is underrated with Margot Kidder. That's my favorite. Eh, is that my favorite diploma? The I don't Bay know. one? Oh, Kelly Wand. Number one. This is a great one. I doubt either of you has seen this movie. This movie is a tough watch. Uh, I would call it, so there's this uh, there's this movement in horror that's called like the French New Wave, French Extremism. Every now and then, you will find an edge in Australia of extremism, of French extremism. So I consider this a little bit of Australian extremism. And you would never know going into the movie, but it turns out that way. There's an Australian movie called Snowtown. Barry is a cross-dresser in the rundown overcast suburbs of North Adelaide. Midway through the film, he telephones his brother Chris and says he skipped town and moved to Brisbane. We're shown Brisbane later in the film. It's marginally worse than the actual Brisbane. Keith Leith, very veiled terms, but uh, Snowtown, that is a good pick. That's, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Huh. Am I correct? Neither of you have seen Snowtown, right? Oh, no. Okay. I don't see movies that give away what the weather is going to be like in the movie. <laughs> Unless it pierces you. Right. 
Uh, Kelly One Snowtown is for you. Is it? Not for Dingus. What about Beyond the Black Rainbow? Uh, yeah, that's also for you. <laughs> All right. Nick D. says, interesting topic. I wish I could think of more examples where the characters weren't either an offensive stereotype or the transgender equivalent of a noble savage. Well put, Nick D. Like Number three. Yeah, much, uh, and much more elegantly than, than I put it. Oh, I like yeah. this one, Nick. I'm going to hmm. cheat and look ahead. Yeah, very good. Okay, Nick's got a great one. Okay, number three. In Wonder Boys, Michael Douglas's editor is named Terry Crabtree, and he's played by Robert Downey Jr. His sexuality is portrayed as relatively fluid, and in one scene, we see him out on a date with a transgender woman. It's a really brief scene, but I always found it notable that her transgender status is neither an issue or a joke. She's just a character in the scene. I do like that. I mean, uh, Danny Jr.'s character is kind of a libertine, but yeah, I like that. He's just, yeah, tonight his date is a, is a transsexual. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, Nick D., Jay Davidson and Crying Game always felt very fleshed out and human to me, and I'm actually a little sad the movie became, yes, thank you, that the movie became mostly known for its big twist rather than for the rest of the story. For example... I don't think many people remember that Stephen Ray actually continues his relationship with her after he learns she's transgender. And there's a really poignant part, too, where he's doing it like, like he, he needs to do it to save her, but he also doesn't need to save her. So he's basically perpetuating – like he's making himself – he cares about her and therefore has to save her because he cares about her. And it's this weird conundrum that he has that ultimately comes down to the fact that he still is continuing the relationship, that he still cares about her. And yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great sort of character arc for him as well. God, I really need to see that again because I just, I, what I remember from watching it is how beautifully it was shot, and also, and scored by the way, it's got a great score. Yeah, number one. Dingus, here you go. Hillary Swank and Boys Don't Cry. I won't say much about it since I'm sure it's been scooped by now. All right, do you feel bad now, Dingus? He knew yep. you were going to do that. He says, I just couldn't avoid picking this sad and deeply human portrayal of a transgender young man. Yeah. Aiden Keyes. Mm. Unfortunately, having trouble thinking of lots of transgender characters. I figure I won't pick a couple of obvious movies and just send in one pick instead that resonated with me. I don't know this one. Uh, he says, Aiden says, the movie Tomboy is a tender and focused look at the realities of being transgender as a child. I watched it on Netflix a while back and remember it portraying everything in a realistic way that I appreciated. I don't, does either of you know that movie? I know the no. Betsy Russell one called Tomboy where she's just a tomboy. That's probably not it. Oh, but then Aiden Keys is not done yet. He says, oh, hi, sorry for the separate email, but I just watched a guilty pleasure. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, okay. I just watched a guilty pleasure movie, Rat Race, and there is one of Lucy's on the way to the I Love Lucy convention. Oh, and there's a Lucy on the way to an I Love Lucy convention who's transgender. Uh, it's played as a joke, though, in Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> of Snow Dogs fame, Aiden says. And uh, Boat and, Trip. And Cuba Gooding Jr. is freaked out when she has a low voice. Uh, Aiden Keys. Aiden Keys, I like Tomboy, whatever that, because now I, I want to see what that is. Yeah. Uh, runners up because there are a few that uh, that are still outstanding. I feel those are uh, all the listener ones. Yeah, those are all the listener ones. I mean, it's a weird topic, Kelly Wand, in that it's yeah. not like you don't want to joke about it. So I think people were reluctant to just dash off a few picks, and and I'm glad. I mean, I think it's something that deserves thinking about. Is how are transgender characters portrayed? Uh, which one stuck out in your head, and why? 
you know? Right. We have you know, no transgender listeners is my is what I get out of that. You're saying we do or we don't? We should, but we don't. But we can. It's incorrect. I I know of one. I mean, oh, someone yeah, who, yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't know that, she, that he listens to the podcast all the time, but uh, yeah, that's a weird okay. statement to make, Kelly. You're weird. Yeah, Kelly, you're weird. Uh-huh. Well, I was just thought there'd be a bigger turnout because <laughs> um, the, the one person. But here's it, Kelly. One, the thing is, I don't think people listen to this podcast on a schedule that we post the podcast. I mean, I think that's a lot of people hear this topic when it's too late to write in. They can uh, hear me it, say Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde like 10 years from now. Exactly. So the same punch. That's your point. Saved for posterity. So go ahead. What was that? So I'm, gl- I'm glad you said it that way because uh, our listener uh, who wrote in this week, Chris Markerson, um, who always writes in for the 3x3, three three, uh, said, said, oh God, said specifically that um, that he was going to pass on it because he didn't want to choose characters who are transgendered, who are only played as villains yeah. or being made fun of. And that's and tough that, to come up with those. Yeah. 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 So he just decided to hang back, which I respect. So, for instance, Dingus, you mentioned the Sidney Lumet one. I presume you're talking about Chris Sarandon, right, in Dog Day Afternoon? Because you find out the whole motive that Sonny has is for his his husband, Chris Sarandon, to get a, a sex change operation. Right. And it's played a little, you know, this is, I don't know, what, 74 or whenever. Uh, it's played a little bit like Chris Sarandon is clutching a pink robe. And it's a little, you know, you're supposed to think that Pacino is a fleshed out and human but kind of pathetic character. Uh, right. Like, I don't think it does anything to ennoble or make us sympathize with the plight of transgender maybe people. Maybe it's a New York thing. It's, a, it's a, just a weird plot twist, I think. And I don't think that Lumet's script is interested in exploring it. It's just, hey, here's yeah. an unlikely bank robber. And I think, wasn't Dog Day Afternoon based on, like, a true story, or am I making that up? What? I maybe I'm know. making that up. Okay, I can, never mind. Take that back. Um, all right, other runners-up? I still have a few. Does MacGruber count? No. Actually, Val technically, Kilmer? I guess Kristen Wiig does transvestite as a man. So. No, I meant Val Kilmer because he gets his dick cut off. No. I don't. Okay. So, Kelly Wand, a eunuch is not necessarily a transsexual. Oh. Right. Yeah. All so, right. no bringing up Grey Worm in uh, Game of Thrones. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a couple uh, I want to mention. Dingus, do you have any? Uh, I, I have two, but go ahead and you, you jump in. So, I haven't seen Danish Girl. Have any of you guys seen Eddie Redmayne in Danish Girl? No. All right. Well, we can't talk about that one. Uh, I, I have seen. <laughs> the only thing I know about that is the joke that uh, Tracy Morgan makes. You know, I'm the Danish girl. This is a good Danish girl. I didn't. I yeah. I don't. What, what Tracy I don't Morgan get the joke? It's not a joke. It's just a moment. Huh. Okay. It's an awesome uh, moment. There is a Walter Hill movie that I think we've mentioned before where Michelle Rodriguez is a super lady killer dude who's an assassin who enjoys banging chicks, and then Sigourney Weaver kidnaps her and turns her into a woman. And so she has to, like, track down Sigourney Weaver and get revenge. But it's kind of funny. The chick that went – so when Michelle Rodriguez was a dude, his girlfriend – Michelle Rodriguez gets turned to a chick and has to track down this girlfriend to get her. And Walter Hill uses this as an opportunity for some hot lesbian sex. Uh, so uh, there you go. That's the movie, The, the, the Assignment. Win-win. 
<laughs> it's terrible. It's awful. What about Ellen Barkin in Switch or Rachel McAdams in The Hot Chick? Do those count? I don't know either of those movies. You tell me. Do they count? Nah. nah. Okay. I made a ruling. I've never seen two Wong Fu with love from Julie Newmar. I don't even know what that is. Isn't that Patrick Swayze as a transvestite going on a road trip or something? Yeah. Okay, I've never seen that. And John Leguizamo. You know, is it like an American remake of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? That always... I always assumed it was, because the trailer was almost the oh. same. But it's a, it's a road movie for them to go to uh, get to Julie Newmar, right? I, haven't I don't even know who Julie so. Newmar is. Who's Wong Fu? Yeah, I knew who's Wong Fu, yeah. Uh, I can say it, because I remember going into the, Well, yeah. I, so Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, none of them is named Priscilla. Ah. Oh. I know, right? Disappointing. What can I ask? Yeah. Do you guys remember, real quick trivia question. What was the name of the ship in Alien Covenant? So there's Nostromo, there's... Okay, fine, I'm not talking to you guys. What did Kelly say? Did you, do you know heard. Dingus? No. What, what did he say? <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you, Dingus. I was streaming the other night, and I was like, what the heck is the name of the ship in Alien Covenant? I can't remember it. There's Nostromo in Alien, there's Sulaku. Uh, what's the ship? Uh, and Kelly Wan, you tell us. What's the name of the ship in Alien Covenant? Covenant? <laughs> That's he's the right. name of it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good Lord. That's the name of the ship in Prometheus, too. Yeah, I mean, not Covenant. So that's the name. The name of the bus in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is Priscilla. Uh, that's oh, uh, so it's like sorcerer. Yeah, <laughs> very good, Kelly Wand. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I just watched a movie in which the bus was named Steve. Okay. Big okay. bus. Was it Speed? No, it's just called Steve. Weird name Steve. for a bus. Yeah. Do you guys know the movie Flawless? Joel Schumacher no. movie? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Really? Yeah. It doesn't live up to the title? Uh, so the, it's, a, it's sort of a crime thriller. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, he's trying, but it is just so over the top, and he's just so, like, shrieky with it. And it's, you know, because Robert De Niro's like a homophobic cop, and they have to, he has to protect him, and they have to learn to get along. And it, it's mm. just... It's it's just a really weak script, and Philip Seymour Hoffman is just like caked in makeup, and it's a super stunty kind of performance. Because uh, I was like, I was because I remember thinking, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a, a transvestite. Let me check out how that holds Can't up. Wait to see how he does his voice. It does not. Yeah. No. What about the Toby Jones one that came out right after that? <laughs> what was it? Oh, I saw oh, Truman Capote. Five. Very nice, Kelly Wong. Five. Right? Yeah. yeah. All right, so Kelly Wan, I think it's time for you to then tell us what is next week. No, no, I've got some. Really oh yeah, yeah, Dingus, go ahead. Yep. Right, first of all, when you guys were talking about Unix, it made me think of the Last Emperor. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, I like that movie for some reason. The cartoon with David Spader. Yeah. <laughs> David Spader. Spade. What's his David name? Spader. Theme at Beaumont. Uh, it's a Bertolucci movie, and. Um, it, there's, there's, I think, I think this is the movie I'm thinking of, where the monks get really upset about the fact that, or not the monks, the eunuchs get upset about the fact that their genitals have been uh, kept in these like sacred, in this sacred place, and 
for like another for another part of their lives, and now they're being now that this place is being burned or something, and they can't get them anymore. Uh, I just remember this moment in the Last Emperor um, where the the jars where uh, the eunuchs had all of their genitals uh, secured was now being destroyed by the emperor. Uh, and so Kelly's idea that eunuchs are somehow transgender made me think of that, which is of course not. But um, do you guys remember uh, Risky Business? Yeah. Who's the eunuch in that? There's Does a he, eunuch in it. Before, uh, before Rebecca de Mornay, he ends up, does it, like he orders a prostitute and turns oh, yeah, comes yeah, over? yeah. Yeah. Right. So he orders uh, a prostitute from the paper and uh, this obvious um, uh, she male, she man, I don't know if I'm being like Mrs. Uh, offensive, shows up. And uh, is it Joel? Get off the babysitter, Joel. I think it's Joel. He's like, uh, and, and the prostitute's like, all right, uh, here you go. Here's a number. And he hands it over to him. I didn't know you wanted like, a female hooker. Jesus. And he's like, this is what every uh, what every white boy on this I don't know where this is like on Long Island wants. Uh, I'll I'll just get my cab. But I just remember that. But it's it's just played kind of for laughs. But there's a little bit of sadness to it. Where eh, this is what every white boy actually wants and leaves. Um, so there's that. And then have you guys ever seen the movie Animal Factory? Oh, the prison movie. Well, yeah, but you mentioned that's that icky prison element of it. Angle. It is. It is an icky prison movie. It's directed by Steve Buscemi. Uh, but Mickey Rourke does this great uh, performance uh, in a couple short scenes, maybe three or four short scenes, as Jan the actress. Um, uh, and it actually kind of almost made my list, although Edward Furlong is so horrible in the movie, it's almost a it's really hard to watch, um, but I really like Mickey Rourke in it uh, as Jan, the actress, um, where he's talking about the fact that uh, God made a mistake when he gave him a cock, basically, um, and saying, yeah, you should go down and meet my... It looks like a mistake sometimes. Yeah. Um but I really love Mickey Rourke's performance in Animal Factory, and that's it's it's really hard to watch the movie because uh, Edward Furlong is so horrible. He really peaked in Brain Scan. Arr. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. Kelly, I want to personally thank you for not bringing up Mrs. Doubtfire and Tootsie. Oh, not transsexual. There's a thing in Arrested Development where Henry Winkler pulls up alongside a black hooker lady and he's all hey are you one of those one hookers who turns out to have a penis and then she goes no and then he drives off Does he that drive we'll off bring that up to, on our TV podcast Kelly wants to drive off to Cleveland <laughs> uh, is that Tootsie joke yep see I like it when I get what you're saying <laughs> it's like an eclipse <laughs> what uh Okay, are you ready for next week's topic? Am I? Oh, yeah. Especially in view of how creative I've been tonight with my choices. Uh, Okay, we've done bombs, we've done explosions, we've done people on fire, but we haven't done the fourth most erotic combination of all. 
exploding people. So next week, three best exploding people in got movies. Got my number one. I got it, and it's not what right. people think. I'm what? Uh, well, what it's what you might people think. think. It's what you I might think, think Kelly Wan, but it's not what most people think when I say I got my number one. I actually I thought, I thought it was that one, but I, get, I realized that it's not that one. Thing is, where, thing is, the stuff Kelly Wan and I are going to talk about are so beyond your ken. You just bring a book for next week's podcasting, as I'm just letting you know. <laughs> it's going to make his head explode. <laughs> Kelly Wand, save it for the podcast. What? Which book should I bring? Under the Skin, the novel. All right, Kelly Wand, I'm sure the <laughs> listeners are also like you and I thinking, oh, yeah, there's that one movie. Right. What do they do? <clears throat> oh, they write into us at 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. And I'll misread it on the air, as we call podcast time. And make sure to get that to us by midnight Pacific on Sunday, September 3rd. Am I supposed to say that? No, because that's too much math for you. I handle the math on this. September 3rd? I know, right? 2017. So if we do the podcast a day late, it really screws the listeners on the Kelly Wan, no one knows what you're talking about. Oh. Uh, what movie are we going to see, Kelly Wand? Because we still aren't sure how to pronounce the first word in this movie. So I'm going to leave it to you, Kelly Wand. Uh, Wild River? All right, you've already screwed it up. I was the one who screwed it up before. Hitman's Bodyguard. <laughs> Is it, we don't know if it, we honestly don't know if it's, I'd assumed it was Wind River, but it could be Wind River, for all we know. We don't know. We're going to have to see the movie and find out, much like... To learn the title of uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, you have to see the movie. So right. to decide, determine whether it's Wind River or Wind River, you probably have to see the movie. We will have reached that point by the time we record next week, so join us for that. <laughs> also, jo- oh, and if you see Wind slash Wind River, I know a few of you had, we'd love to know what you think. It's uh, Taylor Sheridan. I've loved this guy's scripts. Let's see if he can direct. Let us know what you think by sending in some comments in a separate email to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Join us for a little wind wind river and a 3 by 3 of people exploding. It will be fantastic. Mm. And, and yeah, we'll see you then. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. Oh, yeah. Another of my run-ups was C-3PO. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Do you hear the words coming out of your own mouth? I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Uh... Wait, so he was the transgender one in Watchmen? It's like the two of you almost add up to one normal person. Oh, dude, that's so sexist.